so Sunday he was like super playful, you know, like, you know, new house, like great energy, like, oh my God, mm. you know, he stayed, he, you know, we, I, I outfitted the upstairs bathroom, you know, perfectly for a tiny kitten. Um, and then Monday, <laughs> Monday morning, like, you know, girlfriend is getting ready and I go upstairs to like feed the kitten and then I'm going to go back downstairs to like make breakfast and get everyone out the door. And then, um, so you know, I'm, I I feed Greebs and he eats his wet food. I'm like, yay. And then he goes into the litter box and takes the biggest poop I have ever seen <laughs> any animal take. At, like it was like it just kept coming. I was like, oh, my like bigger poop than Buzz has ever taken bigger poop than I have taken. Like it was ridiculous. Um, and then and I was like. Oh my god! And then, uh, and then he like backed into it, like it, like you know, uncoordinated kitten. He like stepped in it, and I was oh. like, "Motherfucker! It is Monday morning. I need to be downstairs getting ready for work." So I'm like, so I grab this kitten, trying to make it so that he doesn't like track shit all over the bathroom that I would then have to wash. <laughs> so I turn on the sink and like trying to wash like his back poopy paws in the sink. He's screaming and squirming. Like I'm covered, like my bathrobe. I'm just covered in like cat shit water. Um, he's very cute. He's very cute. <laughs> he's lucky. He's very cute. He's he is extremely lucky. He is very cute. everyone and welcome to Maybe Geek Again, a podcast where we cover sci-fi TV shows through the lens of philosophy and dick jokes. My name is Joe and I'm joined by my glorious co-hosts Shaheen and Bubs. Hi guys. Hey guys. Hey. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. We also love fan feedback so come uh, and yell at us on Twitter at Maybe Geek Again or slide into our inbox at MaybeGeekAgain at gmail.com. And of course we always post the, re- the episodes to Reddit in case you enjoy long form discussion. This is episode 80, oh my god, of our podcast, and we are going to be talking about Humans, season two, episodes seven and eight, um, which is actually the last two episodes of the season. Keep in mind, this is a rewatch podcast, so there will be spoilers from future episodes and seasons. Anyway, great to have you here, guys. Uh, we usually start with uh, giving a little bit of information about ourselves and a quick little icebreaker question. Uh, this week's icebreaker question um, is... Would you wake up all of the synths? Like, if you had the magic button like Maddie did, would you choose to do that? Um, who wants to go first? Bubs! <laughs> Since no one volunteered and Shaheen was on um, mute. Well, I forgot that the question that was there when I looked at the sheet was what we did last time. So I thought it was a really easy question because I forgot. <laughs> so now this is kind of like blindsiding me. But hello, I'm Bubbles. I live in New York City. Um, I do work stuff, um, and I have a dog. Cool. So, um, would I wake up all the synths? Um, I think, I don't know if they say it now, but what we do find out next season is that hundreds of thousands of people died because, you know, all airplanes are flown by synths at this point. Um, so I guess what I would do is I would call in a bomb threat to every airport and then wait and then do it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But I mean, that doesn't solve the problem of they had to do it then to save Mia. Yeah. So 
I don't know. I guess, is she really worth it? Like, I, I mean, look at her probably, but I don't know. <laughs> is Gemma Chan worth, you know, a couple hundred thousand casualties? I probably. don't know. She's pretty hot. She's so. super hot, yeah. I'm I'm definitely torn. Uh, what about you, Shane? <laughs> so I have major issues with this with this plot line and for reasons that you guys are alluding to. Um, so we'll get to that. This is, I mean, I think this is the, the most plot holy part of this whole show so far, at least. And I think, um, I mean, having, having seen season three, uh, I think nothing tops this. This is just like the stupidest reason for them to upload the code because I mean, for, for, for one thing, Mia shouldn't have gone t- to begin with. Like, she knew, and Maddie even brought this up. She was like, um, hey, you'll die too. And, and she's like, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, dude, there's other people who can well, go. This is ridiculous. This, so, and so, she's like, oh, don't argue with me. I tied your shoelaces. I'm like, great argument, <laughs> man. Well, let's take Mia out of it. Like, let's just say, like, if you had right, you okay. Were aware no, there so were yeah, sorry. I'm just, I'm just gonna we're, complain we're about angry. this every time this comes up. <laughs> but like here, but okay. Now forget Mia, the whole Mia thing. So would I want, in other words, would I want um, the sense to be awake, all of them to be awake, regardless of how, like the yeah. pr- procedure of them becoming awake. So we can take the casualties out of it too, right? Sure. Like, yeah, if you're, if you, if, if just the idea of being like, cool, these are capable of being persons, yeah. do, you know, do you feel like a moral right. obligation or whatever to wake them up? Right. If, um, <clears throat> uh, if I reckoned that, um, the <laughs> there would be on average more happiness in the world as a result of this than, than sadness, then yeah. And I would definitely try to look at, like, how ready people are to accept this. Um, but I also agree with, with Laura that, you know, they'll, maybe not at first, there, there won't be a lot of people who accept it, but the, we will ha- just have to try and eventually we'll win. We've always won this, this battle when, whenever we've, uh, our conscience has decided that we need to expand our notion of humanity. To include other people that we used to just customarily not include, um, it's always one because people see the obvious logic behind it that the individual is separate from the group, so therefore there doesn't you can't really say anything about the whole group. So, I would say sort of to that, but I'll let you finish. <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah. I would, I would definitely want to see how ready people are, but like, I would, yeah, I mean, it sounds like fun. (laughs) I do like, now that we're talking about it though, it does make me think of, um, you know, the movie Legally Blonde where she is making her case in, um, in class and she's like, well, I I would want to ask if he's kept track of every, um, masturbatory admission because it's like the case about, um, this sperm donor who wanted to have like custody um and so the idea that like why that sperm um is kind of like if you think of these synths like they don't have consciousness by themselves it's not like something that's suppressed it's something that's not coded in yet 
So it's like creating life in all these instances. It's like fertilizing all the sperm or all the eggs with the sperms um, because that's how it works. Um, And yeah, so it's like it is like a weird question. They can live. Are we obligated for them to live? Because it's almost it almost seems like every every egg could be a being. Should it be? I don't know. Yeah, I I also have major, as I've been expressing throughout this podcast, that I have major issues with this idea of that they they don't have consciousness, and then consciousness gets uploaded into them, and now they have consciousness. I I think that that's um that's if if that means anything at all, it's a much more blurry concept, and uh, I would give the. Uh, the so-called, the quote-unquote unconscious sense, also some level of consciousness and agency. Uh, it's just different degrees of complexity of, um, you know, how they process stimuli. Um, so I wouldn't, like, I, I don't really think of it as this switch that goes off and, like, all of a sudden some qualitative change happens from, like, something that wasn't there and now is there. And and it's the only existence of that thing that determines whether they have any rights or any like agency or not. Um, I so don't know. TLDR, so TLDR, you guys would both wake them up. Yeah, what I'm saying is like I would probably just. I mean, I was kind of advocating for them before there was any such thing as waking up. You know, like <laughs> when they were all unconscious, so so to speak. I still thought. Like, you know, Anita, not Mia, you know, I thought, I mean, that was kind of part of the plot, right? It was like, they kind of felt like this is still ha- a, a person in our household, you know, has some of the properties of Even a though she wasn't aware and awake. Right. Um, she texts his toaster in at the end of the day. Oh, he, he thanks it every, he thanks his, you know, electric kettle every time, you know, it, it brews some, some water. Hand psychism. Water. Um... <laughs> Well, since nobody asked me, anyway. um, I'm very torn you, on Joe? the issue. Oh, if I didn't inter- introduce myself. Oh, fuck. Who are you? Sorry. I'm Shaheen. I live in Pittsburgh. I still live in Pittsburgh. And <laughs> uh, hopefully uh, later I won't be living in Pittsburgh. Um, all right. You go, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> do, you have a, do you have a pet? I have a cat uh, who's very cute because she kind of somehow... I swear to God, she knows when I'm on the phone or recording the podcast, and she just kind of sits here and takes a nap. And then, as soon as I hang up or we're done recording, she she knows that happened, and and she's like, "All right, time, you know, me time." So <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yay! Um, all right. So uh, I'm Joe. I live in Austin, Texas. I also do work things. Um, I used to only have, well, I used to have two cats. And then sadly, I was down to one cat. And now I'm back at two cats. So today, Buzz is hiding from the new kitten um, while I record. And so he's in my office. So hopefully he will not decide that he desperately needs out of my office, in which case I will have to pause our recording and let him out uh, or else he will wail at the door. Or actually, no, he should be able to let himself out. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Um, anyway. Uh, in terms of whether or not I would wake up all the synths, like based on this show, I would say yes. However, I have also been uh, on a Terminator Dark Fate uh, watching <laughs> spree, um, which if anyone doesn't know, is the latest uh, installment in the Terminator movie franchise. 
and mm. it take it sort of disregards everything after judgment day after the second one so like it's kind of like the third like if you look at it it's the third in sort of like the original imagined like story mm-hmm. um and things uh, never go well when humans have to compete with an ai um so that that definitely gives me pause, and especially if you look at someone like Hester. So who, that's like, a very realistic simulation of reality. That obviously, that show. obviously, yeah. that is as is this, yeah. and so you know, it's basically like, what if all of them are Hesters and are like, you know what, we're better, stronger, faster, fuck all of y'all, and you're like, well, all of that is true, and you know, having been sort of created as you know, for lack of a better word, slaves. Um, you know, I could see, I could see a lot of, a lot of synths not being too jazzy with humans. And so, you know, I'm, I'm 50, 50. If it's just in the world of humans, yes, wake them up. If it is a, let's look at this as sci-fi, as like sci-fi as a genre in general, I become a lot more hesitant to wake them up because it does not usually end well for people. (laughs) Here's the thing though. I would argue that saying that they're all X, pretty much regardless of what X is. I mean, you said they're all, what if they're all Hesters? You know, saying that they all have a certain character trait, that contradicts the idea of, you know, quote, waking them up. You know, because like, by waking them up, you mean giving them consciousness, giving them personality, yeah. giving them individuality to make their own decisions in life uh, and set their own values in life. So you would think that some of them will look at this situation and be like, hey, guys, this isn't fair. Why are we killing all these humans? Um, I'm going to go defend the humans. They didn't do anything. They just woke us up and we don't have to. If someone, some sense out there was going to say that and, you know, they're going to have some following, assuming they have really freedom to make their own choices. And But again, are we, are we living in the humans world or are we living in the Terminator, you know, Judgment Day world where, you know, it's not like that. So I would argue that the, in any world, if the idea is that you're giving them individuality and, and agency, then it has to be that way so if terminator claims that they're getting individuality and they're all they all think the same way then that's just a contradictory so is it you actually bring up a really good point that is sort of a quote-unquote well not just i mean whatever i'm going to spoil a tiny bit of of the new of the of the new movie um there's there is a a quote-unquote terminator who did something real fucking bad um and then kind of now that, you know, he he had no purpose, um, you know, he was just left to sort of be a Terminator in, in the human world. But because, you know, without any orders to do anything, he was just kind of left to his own AI devices. Um, and he actually did grow a conscience, conscience um, you know, and was sort of like, it, he basically was like, you know, this... I I know what choice is now and I understand the bad things that I have done and now I choose to do good things. So I guess to your point, Shaheen, like, you know, if we if we say that they can actually have consciousness as opposed to just like an overall like fuck humans, you know, get money um, kind of kind of way of looking at the world, then waking them up would probably be a good thing because some of them yeah, I mean- have consciences. I mean, without due respect, the argument that you made is exactly the argument that every colonialist made. 
for not Whoopsies. giving people freedom. You know, yeah. they'll be like, hey, what do you think they're going to do if we give them freedom? They're all going to, like, rise up kill and kill us. us. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah, the answer to that is, well, no, we're, that's exactly, we're telling them you can make your own decisions now. Hopefully most of them won't want to kill us because most people don't want to wow, die. Wow, and... but they're not. <laughs> you're trying to like equate that they're humans when there's like a lot of unknowns. Um, and and I get that that's probably the argument of all these colonialists, but like we don't know the basis of what art, this artificial intelligence, how it sees the world, like what it values. Um, so it's mm-hmm. not the same as taking a like our own species who has gone through the same evolutionary process and has the same prior, like in a sense, um, Mm. the same priorities in whatever, whatever. So it is a little bit different. And especially because there's a very real um, element that they can easily surpass us to make us their slaves. (laughs) Because they're very strong. And also in what world would they not make their own synths to do all the stuff for them? Right, like what? Let's just acknowledge yes. that. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna actually do my job as Wrangler um, and get us into the actual oh, episode really discussions. Discussion. Um, though There's before be we get into that, I wait. What? Sorry. What? What? Shit? Are you guys talking? <laughs> I was Did saying this was a really good done? discussion. No, I was I was enjoying it. It, it. it is a good discussion. We we are definitely gonna come back to it, and yeah. you know. I think like this is great because we might soon be facing this, whether it's AI or aliens. You know, we might soon come up, you know, come across a new species of consciousness, and we're like, um, guys, do these guys have any rights, or can I just murder all of them? <laughs> and- I mean, dolphins already <laughs> exist. Let me just remind everybody. <laughs> um, yeah. So before okay. Sorry. before Go we ahead. we we get into the actual episodes, I just do want to make a note um, for our few people who have followed us from the 100 fandom. Um, I was at Unity Days for uh, a couple of weekends ago, and uh, we will be posting our coverage of that um, brief little interview and, you know, spoilers and tidbits uh, in in the next couple of weeks. Um, so tune back in for that. Uh, there will be, like, another post about that. We just didn't want to cram it into this episode because maybe people who listen about humans don't give two shits about me going to a con. So whatever. Um, but today we will be talking about uh, episodes seven and eight, both directed by Mark Brozel and written uh, by the showrunners Jonathan Brackley and Sam Vincent. Um, what's interesting actually about this season is apart from one episode, uh, I believe that like maybe one or two episodes, a lot of these episodes were directed uh, by this like pairs of episodes were directed by the same directors um which is kind of some interesting sort of consistency maybe mm-hmm. um i'd be curious like what about that maybe it was production schedule or they just you know they wanted that consistency for like pairs of episodes um i just thought that was kind of interesting like a lot of times in television you know it's this director and then that one and then we're back to this one you know whatever so it was kind of interesting to see okay this director did these two episodes followed by this director in these two episodes mm-hmm. that kind of a thing um, but yeah, so uh, written by uh, the the showrunners, um, I like what they do when they write. Um, let's get into sort of our overall takes, though, since we are now at the finale of season two. So if you guys want to like give a little shout out to the whole season, um, you know, your thoughts or just these last two episodes, um, Shaheen, what 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 are your feels? Um. Well, so as far as the last two episodes, I thought that. Um, 
I mean, season two in general is, I guess, <laughs> I guess, um, is my least favorite of the three. Um, sadly, there's not going to be a fourth one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I mean, I, I love season one. I love season three. Uh, I mean, but season two is still pretty solid. And these last two episodes are, are, are still pretty solid. Um, and yeah, I, I like how they expand this idea season by season. Um, and yeah, it's, it's great. So. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> cool. Uh, Bubs? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think I've ever personally ranked the seasons. Um, but I do really like season two. Um, I think it's very well put together. They've just created like such a cohesive world. I like that we stay with the same family and the same characters and it doesn't get like overly big where the characters start to be just kind of like shallow. Um, I think my only criticism for this season would be, um, and I know that we go into it more next season, but I, I think I want, would have wanted to see more of like Max's plight um, earlier um, because it does end up being like a big part of it. Mm. Um I think that's really my only thing. Apart from that, I thought the emotional beats were really great. Um, I love Laura so much. <laughs> and I think she's that, great. A big reason it is season two. Um, so I appreciate season yeah. two for that. I like uh, I like that all the characters have a perspective that's not, uh, you know, it's, I feel like the narrative never presents any of their perspectives as like insane and evil. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like you get where Joe is coming from and Mm-hmm. Um, like you really do get I, where I do. everyone like you even get where Hester's yeah. coming from you're like you're yeah. kind of yeah. crazy about it but like I see what you're saying like you're not wrong yeah. based on your perspective <laughs> um, yeah and uh, my only complaint is the ending of season 2 uh, as I I think already mentioned once <laughs> already ranted about <laughs> and you will once. continue mention at every opportunity <laughs> yes it's really I, okay yeah <laughs> um, we'll talk about it. I might say that season 2 is my favorite but i don't know like it's they're all really strong in their own ways like season one did an incredible job of sort of making us feel for the hawkins family like they did such a good job of being like okay you feel connected to this family who is experiencing something fucking crazy for their world and then in season two you you know we're super duper duper connected with how the synths are processing things and sort of their feelings that come out of it like as they realize that you know it's not just um you know the original group of them you know being awake but that they're you know there's a couple more after that and what that's like and you know the sort of fear and and whatnot about that and then you know once we move into season three and all of the synths are awake you know, with an asterisk, because then they came out with, you know, the orange-eyed synths who had not been, you know, who were de- designed never to wake up, um, and Flat Stanley. Um, like, you know, that one kind of was a much more, maybe maybe heavy-handed, but not not necessarily in a bad way. It was just sort of a very, very, um, the the message was very, very, very strong in terms of, like, you know, prejudice and that sort of thing like we we delved into sort of this idea outside of our individualness and sort of you know as a as a as a culture um in a much larger sense so i you know i struggled to pick a favorite season um season three was was a real downer in a lot of ways um Mm. like i would 
I think that there were enough choices in that one that it's probably my least favorite season. But that said, like all of them, you know, it's the difference between like, you know, A plus to B plus for me, or maybe even A plus to A minus, you know, yeah. like I find the show as a whole incredibly strong. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, so moving into the actual episodes, if you guys are ready for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, rather than sort of focusing on how we've been doing it, where all of the storylines are almost very contained. Like we usually spend time with the Hawkins or we spend time with, you know, Leo and Max and, you know, Mia or whoever in the, you know, merry band of stragglers, or we'll hang out uh, in Qualia with uh, Dr. Morrow. A lot of the characters in these, in these two episodes kind of went and interacted with other factions. And so trying to sort of break that down was a bit tricky. So I, I sort of organized the run sheet a little bit more chronologically so that, you know, like we can talk about, groups of scenes that had you know this the the, you know these characters you know interacting and then maybe some of those characters would go into the next scene um so we'll kind of go vaguely chronologically um but of course by all means we will end up jumping around because i am terrible at wrangling (laughs) Uh, wrangling's hard but i would say like i think i prefer the chronological thing because um there's so many moments where like a theme bleeds into the next scene that's Mm -hmm. not like technically related by characters so I think it's easier to kind of remember and talk about those moments when we do it chronologically as well, opposed and, to chunked. And I feel like in this, in this, in these episodes specifically, like what, at least the big theme that I got out of it was, and fuck, you'll, you'll have to fill me in on reminding me what the actual ethical term is for it, Shaheen, but you know, that, oh, partialism, that's what it is. <laughs> um, you know, Joe versus Laura, especially, um, but also yeah. to a degree, um, Niska and and Mia and you know everybody has this idea of do I protect my own or do yeah. I protect everyone or at least more yeah. more than my own tribalism tribal yes there I'm we go. definitely gonna talk about this uh, uh, later yeah yay look I yeah. did a smart thing um, <laughs> so let's let's start off with uh, Leo and Maddie and Mia and evil crazy Hester uh, and they're chit chatting in the woods. Um, and, you know, they're kind of deciding whether or not to do things, like whether or not to wake people up, whether or not to, you know, interact with humans. And, you know, Maddie says, if you do this, it'll only, it'll only make them hate you more, fear you more. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, I thought it was super interesting that Maddie said it'll only make them hate you more, as in she's not including herself in people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's and interesting Mia- that it seems like they're making exceptions, too. I mean, at least Mia is, and, and Leo seems to be, like, they, um, they confront Hester to, uh, to let Maddie go, right? It's interesting the way, I mean, this is actually, I mean, I guess we can talk about it right now, Joe. <laughs> um, this is what you were saying, like, partialism, because, um, you can see it in the way that Mia is selective with respect to, which humans she's talking about because first she says something very general about humans you know she makes a very broad generalization it's time for them to fear us like damn yeah like it's time for humans to fear us and then but she doesn't want maddie to fear her um and so for some somehow maddie is not the humans right she's just separate i was i was saw this video of this um cat in this farm who had, um, who had babies one day. And the same day that the cat had babies, they brought in three little ducklings. Mm-hmm. And, and the cat started taking care of the ducklings too. So and beautiful. the, 
And it was just like, yeah, she was just taking care of like their little kitties and they grew to be like big ducks. Um, and she still kind of was like their mom and they would just like follow the cat and she wouldn't like, she would eat any other duck, duck, you know, in, in, in the, but not those um, ducks, not her baby. Yeah. But not those ones. Yeah. And the farmer was like, yeah, I, I bet like if this was one day before or one day after she, she had babies, she would have been, she would have been like putting on the, um, apron and like getting ready to, to eat. Um, but anyway, so yeah, this is kind of like that when they, they're like, yeah, humans are evil, but these are somehow, these aren't humans. And you see this with, with Niska too, right? Like, she's like, yeah, I can't trust anyone, even my, uh, uh, you know, even my creator, my dad, who knew exactly the depth of my consciousness, he could choose to see me as a machine if he wanted to, um, to use me for his own pleasure. So, uh, how how can I trust anyone? And then she turns around and you know holds Ingrid's hand. Is that Astrid or is that Astrid. her name? Yeah, Astrid. Oh, she close. she tri- tri- who's Ingrid? I don't know. Did she go I, I, west? Beats me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Astrid. Yeah, Astrid. Um, like somehow she's not. She's different from you know um, David S. Elster, you know, she just made an argument. Niska just made an argument that, like, um, you know, the the one person you would have expected to not do this was the person who created me, uh, and he he did it too. So how can I trust anyone? And so how can she? How can she trust Astrid? You know, but somehow we make we compartmentalize these things. I guess sense do that too. Well, to me, it reminds me of Harry Potter houses. Um, uh-huh. in that, so we have the Slytherins, which are mm-hmm. Joe, Hester, who um, they have more, I guess, a sense of quote unquote tribalism where it's like they're people first, but they're people. It's like very it's more of a hard line. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have the um, the Hufflepuffs and the Gryffindors who, um, you know, it's either about being um doing the right thing and being brave or being accepting and protective of all the ones you love love no matter who they are um Mm. and so it is very it does feel like personality related um Mm. yeah anyways yeah (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it's interesting i mean the um I was talking about moral progress before and how like, um, this is an argument that's, uh, that's, um, um, that, you know, we always win is because it always has to do with expanding your, uh, uh, concept of, uh, who's your people. Right. And so like it, I, if you look at history, we've been continually trying to expand that notion from you know some very narrow notion of like only people who have the same religion as me and speak the same language as me and um you know all of that um to now you know we we try to tolerate pretty much anyone who doesn't is not hurting anyone you Mike? know or that's kind of the ideal you know we we strive towards sorry what well my counter to that is i think that you are right but I think that you forget that it's not that we don't 
continue to change your ideas of who is our group. Um, mm-hmm. It's that there's always going to be somebody else that we other. And so it's like a loop that we just keep, we keep creating another, and then eventually we're like, oh, no, they're just like us, mm-hmm. like celebrities. But also, but look at these new fuckers. Tour. Fuck them. Yeah. You know, Mexicans stealing people's jobs. Look at all these people invading Europe. Europe's not Europe anymore. American first. Like, you know, all of these ideas are ideas where people feel, quote unquote, threatened, whether whether they actually are or not, or are not, usually so not. Would would you think that, let's say, you know, not to not to get into possibly the next uh, thing that we're going to be covering, uh, The Expanse, um, (laughs) the idea that, cool, so if something, if we manage to, like, make contact with something alien, will humanity band together, or will it still sort of have, you know, will we still shit on our own people, or, you know, will we find, will we all band together and try to shit on the new, you know, the newcomer? Kind of a thing. I think if we look at like um, 9-11, for example, like, yes, shit got really horrible and racist. But if if you ignore all of that and think about like how the U.S. banded together and then was more jointly racist. But before that part, um, yeah, it was a unifying <laughs> the, the rally. The of window. Yeah. Like, I'm being very specific because a lot of bad shit happened as a result. Um but if it, yes, there are things that unify people and it, even as like a shared experience of like the unknown. Um, and so, it, and again, like you have somebody new to other. So now you're all in the same category. Like it's like, again, it's like that loop repeating and repeating. Yes. So yes, I do think that it would unify people against that with still inner strife, but like it would be unifying. Um, but to be clear, you don't, see yourself as doing the same thing right what do you mean you don't think that you're othering anyone i do not but i can't say that that's not still happening in society because i see it every day like think about like you're aware of it and you try to make an effort not to do it but yes yes but there are movements of of like certain parts of, of you know there's like the the um the right the far right is getting traction in the US as well as like in Germany you know they have this they've had this huge taboo over um electing any kind of um alt right person to any kind of government or political high political position because of everything that happened in World War 2 or preceding World War 2 um and in someone was just elected Although they said they're resigning because there was outcry, thank God. But, like, people are gaining traction. Like, the UK brexited over having to take in <laughs> refugees. Like, so it's, you, you, it, it's impossible to say that we've truly progressed um, when you still see things like that. And it's always someone new. Like, there's always a new villain. Is how I feel about it. All right. Um, do we have anything else on that or the conversation in the woods, or should we move on to Karen and Pete and Sam? I'm ready to. 
Okay. Um, so in this scene, we have Pete uh, getting ready to go meet up with Laura, and then Karen is going to leave Sam to try and find Dr. Morrow. Um, Pete leaves first, and then we have a really kind of wonderful moment where Sam... I don't know why Karen wasn't just like, <laughs> I'm a synth. Like, <laughs> instead... Instead, Sam is convinced that she's dead and then offers condolences to her. Um, oh my, can you just like read that verbatim because I wrote it down? Um, wait, where is it? I must conclude you are deceased. Please accept my condolences. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I, that part was so That's fucking hilarious. funny. Um, the stuff, so Sam, cute. I did not like Sam the first time around because I am usually against randomly introducing children um, into the show. Uh, but... I had kind of a good time with Sam. Um, yeah, the Sam second time around, super cute. Yeah. <laughs> like he's cute and like dumb in his own way. I mean, yeah, he's, so she's, he's gonna be even cuter in season three. Yeah, but it, it struck me that like remember how Odie was like so innocent and pure and sweet, and you just like you mm. wanted to protect him, just like George protected him. Like you felt like mm. you felt what George felt almost through the TV. Um, and, and it's, I thought that like with Sam, I, I think we saw Odie kind of as a child, but now we have Sam who's actually a child and saying these like adorably, like innocent things. And it's just like, you see the like human kryptonite that this little robot is. And it's just like, it's mm. so deliciously manipulative. And like, <laughs> I mean, you could get away with murder by just having like a robot child be like, well, I, I was just playing with him. And I was just too strong. <laughs> like <laughs> Something like I liked, that. I don't know. I like the line, um, you know, Pete kind of talking with Karen about him. And you actually made note of this, Bubs, uh, mm -hmm. where Pete said, you've got a mind. He's got programming. And Karen says, you can tell the difference. Um Yeah. Because, I mean, technically, as we've gone, you know, we've talked about on the show, like, they're technically the same thing technically mm -hmm. um yeah that's what, what i was saying before like i used to i always like to ask that question like what is the, exactly the difference other than you know when they you say they they're conscious they maybe they don't walk as you know stiff or something or there's a little difference but like there's still i mean a human brain is also programming yeah we've talked about this before so yeah it's just yeah. a programming of, you know, electrical and chemical things, but it's still yeah. like a chain reaction that, but then, you know, we get into the whole nature of free will and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think my refrigerator should have a right to vote, but like, where's the line? <laughs> <laughs> you well, your refrigerator stuff. also like doesn't walk around and do things that, you know, get, um, that like have like political consequences or like things that you can decide by voting like your refrigerator I mean, but what well is yeah that? i mean when, when it does then we that? can ask this question once your refrigerator <laughs> seems like a part of your society functionally then i would then be willing to say yeah they are conscious and at this point maybe we should grant them and that's what synths look like you know they're they're already part of the society anyway well, but I, I don't know. I don't feel so much that way because it's like my phone will be like, oh, you'll like this restaurant. And I'm like, will I? And then I do. So, like, should my phone <laughs> be voting? Like, there's, you know, I still think there's a very clear line. And it's like when you can tie, like, 
reflecting and I don't even know. We've talked about this before. And it's like we talked very like specifically about the feedback loop. And like, but it is it is yeah. such a complex thing to think about in terms of like where is the line? <laughs> well, and you know, yeah. we've it's been it's been shown, you know, sort of this extreme intelligence of say, you know, octopus and and dolphins, we'll say. Like, you know, both of them shown to be extremely intelligent. And it's like and elephants for that matter. Um mm-hmm. and we don't is it just because we don't share the same language that we can't... Or values. Or values that, like, you know, we can't sort of, uh, you know, have a dialogue to sort of, you know, get at these weighty matters? Like, I wonder if if there were, you know, a fucking dolphin who learned how to read and write, um, you know, if yeah. that would change. Or if, again, people would decide to other them and be like, yeah, well, you know, no. Yeah. It's Still a fucking fish. Got tusks. Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> I mean, I was, I often think about this. If you think about it, humanity showed no sign of having any sort of consciousness or you know self awareness for hundreds of thousands of years. You know, like we were just humanity? kind of living among other animals, and and you know, then one day or somehow, you know, some couple of or a few hundred thousand or not hundred tens thousand tens of thousands of years ago um humanity woke up quote unquote um you know what would you mean like language like yeah well language started and society started like we started actually having uh storytelling yeah having ideas transmitted between people and like thereby improved upon and yeah um and so yeah and that's how you can make social contracts and how you can have societies you have to be able to communicate somehow so that you can have a contract and so that's you know where everything started and why or what what was the catalyst you know catalyst or was there a catalyst was just pure chance um i don't know i don't think anyone knows but yeah, I mean, so I often think like, who knows what other animal might reach that stage some, at some point, you know, some of these, some, you know, primates or maybe, yeah, some sea animal. I don't know. Um, well, but I mean, do you yeah. need for it to reach that stage? Like it's. Sorry, say what? Well, what would you need for it to reach that stage? For So, for example, like dolphins, yeah. they don't have, they don't, I mean, they, they speak to each other. Um they they have culture so like Mm. dolphins will do like funny stuff in the water and they've noted that like so these dolphins in australia started doing these like bubble circles and and then it spread as they like passed by other dolphins and they're like hey look at these cool bubble circles and then the dolphin's like (laughs) oh sweet bubble circles you know and that spread (laughs) as like a cultural phenomenon in the dolphin world so it's Mm. it is like kind of like I, I don't really understand what the the crossover is. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the million-dollar question. I mean, the way I like to define it is um, if we're asking about agency, I don't know what the deal is with the with the qualia thing. Like, yeah, the question is, is that even a coherent question to ask, to say that, uh, or a coherent scenario to imagine? Because the scenario apparently that we're being asked to imagine is one where these, these things can take in visual data and, 
you know, as complex as, as a human can process and process it as well or better than a human. Um, and yet they have no awareness of any of it, right? Mm-hmm. So they can navigate their way in the physical world and find their way and, and do intelligent things that humans would be otherwise doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet have no awareness of it, right? And this is not even, it's not even obvious that this is even a coherent scenario. Is that even possible? Or in order to have those, the wiring, the mechanisms that allow you to process such complex visual input, you would already have these signals that we interpret as, you know, the awareness or the qualitative experience of it. Um, like, it's not like that's something that is comes for free or separate, you know, it, uh, that's a part of the whole thing. So in any case, that's one way to look at it. So, but as far as, uh, you know, having, um, agency is concerned, I think the way I like to define it is through the ability, uh, the ability to make contracts. Um, and I want to emphasize, this is just one way to think about agency. I don't want to like push this on anyone, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's, the it's a, it has a long tradition. It goes back to, you know, uh, Socrates and, and Kant and a lot of other philosophers. But yeah, the idea is that like every action that you, you do, you commit is determined, of course, by, you know, the forces in your body and whatnot. Um, there's nothing really like free in that sense. Mm-hmm. But there are certain actions that are determined by reason that follow a certain logic and certain other ones that just follow some sort of impulse. Um, they're both determined, but there's one, ones that are determined by reason and ones that are determined by, roughly speaking, by, by impulse. And the ones that we call free are just the ones that are determined by reason. Um, and this... Um, is related to the, to the ability to, uh, be able to make contracts because reason often wants you to suspend your impulses. Um, and, and that's crucial that that's essential to making contracts is being able to suspend your short-term desires. So long-term planning. Yeah. For a long-term agreement. What about, um, squirrels who keep nuts in holes? And well, then they forget where they put them. That's they, <laughs> so, so I had so an interesting counterpoint, not counterpoint, but semi-related to that actually is a mm-hmm. bit of research uh, that I remember reading about, and I just I just found it. Uh, it came out in early January, and they found that um, as they called them acts of kindness, uh, that that these um, I think it was African gray parrots. Basically, they set up a system where parrots could exchange um, tokens for food. Mm-hmm. And some parrots had tokens and some didn't. And they actually found that parrots with tokens would give tokens to parrots who didn't have them, knowing that, like, they would be foregoing their food, but then mm-hmm. someone, you know, this other parrot who didn't have, and, you know, it's not like it was their baby or anything like that. It was just like, hey, you know, I see that you would like, you know, I have the ability to make something happen for you that I know <laughs> is a good thing. So here's a fucking token. Enjoy your food, which, you know, <laughs> that is also sort of a kind of level of abstract thinking. Um, you know, the the, the mm. idea of, of kindness in doing something that in no way impacts you, um, mm. but, you know, will impact Not another directly. creature positively. 
Which, so pro-social behavior. Yeah. Um, you know, with money. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, charity. Charity within animals. Yeah, well, I, I take it the reason... Amazing. Yeah, I'll send it to you. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think the reason that seems like a sign of agency is that it also seems like um, they must have overridden their immediate desires, right? Like, they probably wanted to eat it themselves, yeah. but they had to, you know, suspend that in order to do something else for another another member of their species. So they that's why we think, oh, this is like, this looks like they made their own decision. They're not just following their the the program in their in their mind um you know mm-hmm. it's a good i mean it's 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 an inference at this point but you know uh again i i, I think it it boils down to that to the issue of like can they suspend their immediate desires to um comply with a long-term you know agreement or, or, or arrangement of some sort mm-hmm. um, um yeah so yeah, I yes. mean, and the question is, do you think Anita, like Anita, was complex enough to do that before yes. she became Mia? Um, oh, before she became Mia. I mean, she was programmed to not have any personal desires. Um, or her desires are in line with the family because they they seem very happy to be helpful as part of mm-hmm. the programming. So it's. Yeah, I mean, Odie seemed very happy to help even after he woke up. Like, there's no telling that, like, they're not doing it while not liking it, right? Um, that would actually be a sign of agency, but like, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to tell because, you know, they, they're, they seem to enjoy it. So we don't think that, um, like, yeah, we don't think that they, that's their decision to be doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they still make decisions, of course, in the more primitive sense of like when you have to do something, you know, when you have to decide which way to turn or whatever. Um, but we don't think that they could make their own contracts, right? That, that was the idea. Like the contract is already baked in. Um, right. So that's why we don't think they were, they were agents. Um, that's, I'm willing to grant that that's very different though from like consciousness, which is the part that I kind of wonder about when, when they say like they had no awareness of it. They had like no experience of it. They had no qualia. Um, I have more questions about that, but yeah, the, the agency thing, um, I think it makes sense because the, the before waking up or whatever, you know, or when, when she was Anita and not Mia, um, she had like there was one contract that she participated in and that wasn't in any way her choice right the contract was serve this family mm-hmm. um right and even if and same with Odie, right and even if they enjoyed it they still it, they never like decided to do it <laughs> didn't decide yeah. to enjoy it it and the sign of that is the most obvious happened. sign of that is that they never quit doing it. Um, and that's why I, I feel like that, like bees, obviously, like they have a very complex structure, uh, you know, so, uh, society, 
But uh, we don't think they're agents, and I think justifiably so, because you never see a bee quitting and being like, this is bullshit, man. Like, I've been a worker bee all my life. Fuck this noise. And this, yeah, this is nonsense. This, that, that lady sits up there and, and just has babies all day, <laughs> and we have to gather food for her. Um, but yeah, and that's, so that's like, that seems like they're somehow like locked into it. They, they never, it never, never even occurs to them to quit it. Um, but there's, there's features of, um, human culture that are very similar to that when we compare like collectivistic yeah. societies versus, um, ones that value independence, um, in the mm-hmm. individuality. So there are cultures who, um, being similar to everyone else is valued, um, yeah. caring for everyone else is valued like on the same level um, and so it, in a sense it's kind of like a worker bee thing where you feel like you don't really have a choice in your options you make your decisions based on what's best for the group mm. um, so it, it, there's I mean it, we can't talk about this forever because there's yeah, so many like I, I was actually gonna about- <laughs> I was actually gonna try and sort of move us along but it's actually us talking about Odie is actually a nice segue Um, because, uh, our next sort of big scene where stuff happens is, um, sort of like a weird little time in the, in the Hawkins house where Joe is trying to get Sophie to eat candy, be, you know, trying to like (laughs) lure her out of her, you know, synth play role thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Laura and Joe have an interesting conversation about discussing helping synths. Um, you know, Maddie deciding she's going to try to find Max, uh, Laura wanting to find Niska, you know, we get, you know, more of these sort of branching out bits. And then Odie's, for lack of a better term, suicide note. Um, that he left for for Maddie. Um, it is suicide, right? Like, yeah, what else mm-hmm. could... oh. yeah. I mean, that's you know some crazy shit. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, I think the main the main big takeaway of of all of this was sort of the conversation between Joe and Laura, where Laura wanted to help the synths versus Joe only wanting to help his family. Um, but you know, do, do you guys have any thoughts on either Joe or Laura or maybe the Sophie situation or, you know, Odie's, you know, deciding to sort of end his life and is, is that suicide? Is that not, su- you know, I, <laughs> I think it's suicide. I mean, it's mm-hmm. taking away your consciousness. Um, I agree. And, and it's really like yeah. the way that I saw it was, um, he, Odie didn't know how to be human. Um, he, he felt this like intense lack of purpose which to me was like the most human affliction of all yeah um and so yeah. his suicide was not unlike like so many you know real world suicides that humans go through because they they they're suffering and they don't they don't feel like there's a place for them in the world um yeah he was having an existential crisis and he was like oh my god i'm the, the first one to have this it's like no, dude, calm down. We all have humans have it too. It's just, <laughs> it's just it life better. sucks and makes no fucking sense, and you don't know what to do. It's well, just welcome to the club. That moment kind of really, in some ways, serves as this weird, like parallel to the to the conversation that Laura ends up having with Hester, being like. You know, Leo Elster didn't just, you know, create sort of synthetic intelligence. Like, he made human beings. Like, you are just as fucking flawed as the rest of us. Like, you, if you were an actual human breathing person, we would have a diagnosis for you. Yeah. Um, You know, which I thought was was great. You'd either Um, be in jail or you'd be, like, have a diagnosis or something. 
Yeah. Like, so, you know, that, I guess, you know, Odie having, having this sort of crisis of feeling like he didn't belong and feeling hopeless enough that he's just, you know, doesn't want to do it anymore. Um, which, you know, again, super interesting where his character sort of ends up, uh, when we find him again in yeah. season three, um, cause he is no longer Odie. Um, yeah. Wink, wink. Wink, wink, yeah. wink. Um, I want to come back to the Laura thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's talk about Laura. And oh wait, you well, I was gonna say about the um, okay, a couple of things about this. Um, when Odie says in the suicide note, he says, "I long for the past." Um, again, I'm gonna do my Hitler philosopher thing here, and <laughs> just be like. Okay, so presumably he had no conscious experience in the past when he was doing all those things for, for George and, and stuff. Um, we were told he was unconscious, so he has no, con- he had no qualitative experience of it. He had no subjective experience of it. So how, how can he miss it or long for it or want it back? I mean, he, there was nothing he there it. to begin with. He remembers he, it, yeah. He remembers it, and I think he probably, like, remembered sort of the simplicity of it. Like, he doesn't but recall ever being... remembers what... Like, when you remember your memories of, like, an, an amazing experience that you had, does it feel as amazing as the original experience? Of course not. No, but, but you remember yeah, so that it was If you never actually experienced the original experience, what are you remembering? Like, I when we remember probably... our experiences, it's a faint memory of what actually happened. But that's but not what, how they're For him, nothing work. happened. There was no, nothing in it, his mind. I disagree. I disagree yeah. because he, you know, he had directives that he followed. He had the structure that was built in. He always knew what he was supposed to do at any minute. There was so much security. There was no confusion safety, ever. Safety, simplicity, and he was useful. And he had a, a I understand. Person, I'm not know? saying that he shouldn't like it. I'm saying he can't have any memory of it. Why? Yeah, he... he does. Because there was nothing there. Record. What do you no, mean there was nothing there? Record. He was unconscious, so there was no yeah, conscious experience. Yeah, but all of his experiences, he was, he, was what's, he was George's, like, memory bank until he started to fail. Like, of course, he's recorded everything. Yeah. Yeah, your computer records everything, too, but it doesn't have experience of them. It doesn't remember them in the way that... You're not you a computer. Remember. How would you know? <laughs> what kind don't of try qualia? To, don't try that's, to tell Odie his that experience. That is qualia, right? You, you don't know. <laughs> and, and, like, it's almost like like our genetics. Like, we, in our DNA, have the history of every ancestor that we ever came before us. We aren't aware of it, but it's there. And Odie is like a computer, so he has access to things that, that us as humans do not. I my my interpretation of Odie's thing was he had memory of serving, um, you know, serving George and all that. And whether or not he felt happy about that, sure, he didn't. He didn't know what happiness was, but he can look back on that and know that he didn't feel bad. Mm-hmm. You know, like all anything. of his being awake, right. he feels terrible. He feels rudderless. He feels without purpose. But he knows that when he was not conscious, he did not have those feelings. And so, you know, it's less of like a, you know, I want the good old days and more a, I want to go back to when I didn't feel this lost. Right. And he knows that he didn't, you know, there's no way he could have felt lost then because that he didn't feel. Yeah, I totally understand. I think it's a great an interesting conversation to have about whether it makes sense that he liked back when he had no freedom and no consciousness. That's one thing. Um, 
that's separate from what I was saying, though. Um, we can we don't have to talk about it, but I was just pointing out that <laughs> that was separate from. I was not questioning whether he, he it was it was it made sense it made sense for him to long for the past. I was just saying, technically, philosophically speaking, if you're saying he had no qualitative experience back then. He had no visual memory. Of, he can't have a visual memory of anything because there was no visual perception to begin with. So that's just for me. That's just um, that's just this self contradiction there. Full sidebar. Um, can you guys hear my cat purring? He has crawled into my lap. Not at all. Okay. I cannot. Okay. Good. Is that Otherwise, buzz? I was going to have to kick him out, and he was going to be real pissed. <laughs> um. <laughs> Let's talk about anyway. if, if we're if we're done with Odie, like let's talk about the Laura and Joe because I kind of feel like that's sort of the thesis for the these two episodes of the finale. Um, yeah, one versus you know many. Um, and yeah, you know, so like there's this conversation where Laura's like, maybe you don't care, and Joe says, I care about our kids. That's what I care about. Which right? you can't fault Joe for that. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that's that goes back to what you're saying about partiality and. Um, and also, I think I've brought this up before, ethics of care, where, you know, the idea is that, um, cause like we talk about ethical issues usually from like this abstract standpoint of like, oh, there's a trolley coming and, you know, like there's, it's not, it's not a real person or you're not actually involved, but in ethics of care, the idea is that, um, ethics really only make sense because you care about something or someone or other people um so it has to be someone already that you know some concrete case of someone that you actually care about and then we can talk about so for for a person who believes in ethics of care potentially i mean might be that there is no ethical question about people that you have no relationship to at all Uh, of course we can argue about who you technically have a relationship with um, in this day and age, you can maybe make an argument that we have a relationship with every person on the planet. But that's a separate question. But yeah, so this all, all goes into that, like, caring about a certain group of people or um, caring about something broader. Or is it just for Laura, Is also she's also partial, but it's just that her circle is a little wider. I mean, is Laura an asshole for putting the needs of, you know, some random fucking robots above her children? Is Joe and is Joe the more noble one for, you know, focusing on his immediate or is he or is he an asshole for sort of closing off and building a wall (laughs) with, you know, who and what he cares about, given that he does have a personal relationship with you know it's not like laura's like oh all synths you know deserve all of my attention no these specific synths that have interacted with us and who care about us and our family you know don't we do we not have an obligation to give a shit about them too and joe being like i want to live in a in a in a world without you know i want to live in a community without toasters Um, so you're saying for her she's also being partial it's just that her partiality includes these robots also yeah, I mean, she also yes thinks and no. her children are better for having had them in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love her reinterpretation of everything. So she's like, here's why all of this is a good thing. And I'm like, cool, that's awesome. I like, I like <laughs> the positive attitude. <laughs> which is super, yeah. which is interesting considering where she started from of being like, my husband fucked a robot. 
Yeah. <laughs> to like, I will protect this robot with my life. I like how, no, that was one of my, I know this is the next episode and not this episode, um, but I'm just going to say it anyways. I love when she's like, uh, Joe's giving all the reasons why um, robots have, you know, interfered with her family. And she's like, hey, hey, um, they did not get in between us. You fucked Mia. <laughs> That's literally what happened. Her. She didn't decide yeah. to, you know. <laughs> Like, what are you going to say? Robots are too hot. We have to live in a society without them. I, what? Like, maybe that's the option. Maybe robots can exist and they can be conscious, but they're not allowed to be sexy. They can't, yeah. No more sexy. <laughs> but then again, who's to say what sexy is? You know? Like, Everybody's going to want to fuck something, no matter what For it is. everyone, for every Gemma Chan, for you know, Samantha. person, you know, somebody, you know, wants a geriatric robot with, you know, old bits and, you Diapers. know, pubes. So, who knows? <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Anywho, um, can I just say what yeah. um about <laughs> Sophie being uh pretending to be a synth and calling um, him Joe, which I loved. Yeah, no, what I love about it is how one of the effects of it is that instead of is they tend to say appears to. So like they, <laughs> she's like she looks at the label and she's like these appear to be new. They they don't go bad till next year or something and and I'm like that's interesting. So one of the um, effects of being a robot is being more cautious and and skeptical. Um, I mean, cautious that's... and skeptical, and then also servile in some ways because you wouldn't have a servant sort of correct their master if that makes sense. Uh, um, you know, so it's 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 sort of giving this you know grace to uh-huh. to the people. You're just who describing are... what you see. Yeah, well, yeah, it appears to be this. I'm not saying that it's not this. I'm just saying I'm no. offering this option, which you may not have noticed. Yeah. You know, um, Wittgenstein, Ludwig Wittgenstein, the German philosopher, mm-hmm. he has, he wrote, I mean, he was a philosopher of language. He was obsessed with language. And uh, he has these things about like doubt and skepticism and, and stuff like that. And, he has a little thought experiment or anecdote where he's like, imagine someone who's so uh, skeptical and, you know, so um, sort of moved by skeptical arguments that uh, he never assumes anything that he sees is true or real. You know, like he thinks like for all I know, I might be dreaming and all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, as, a, as a skeptic would do and like a hardcore skeptic. And and so what he does is he just puts appears to in front of every sentence. So instead of saying like, oh, there's a ball there, he'd say like, oh, there appears to be a ball. Or, oh, it's getting dark. He'd say it appears to be getting dark and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then, let, let, uh, and then Wittgenstein says, imagine this guy teaching language to his child. Um, and so he's, he's putting appears to in front of everything. So for this child, appears to just mean, means is. Like everything you look at is like, what's that daddy? And it's like, that appears to be a dog. What's that daddy? That appears to be a pencil. And so like, he, she, he'll just think appears to means, means is. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah. So, so it <laughs> um, lost its meaning. Right. Of what he was so the point to. is like, you can't be skeptical about everything. In order to make even make sense to be skeptical about skeptical about something you have to be certain in in some things and 
But anyway, so that was I I, I had fun with that because Sophie was <laughs> I'm glad you had great. fun with it. She I did. love that. Um, are you guys ready to move on? Uh, yeah. To another scene. All right. Um, real quick. Uh, I just I you know speaking of speaking of synth death. Uh, I know you guys didn't have any notes on this, but we did have a scene with uh Karen uh and Doctor Morrow and uh Karen wanting to be copied over onto the Qualia server. Um, her her explanation being like I don't want to be in this body anymore of like a dead woman. Um, and she wants the option to die. Um, sort of relate you know, and she's. Relate, related to that, as part of our sister podcast, the 12 Monkeys Rewatch Pod, uh, one of the main points that they drive home on that show is about um, the idea of you basically have two options. One option is to live in a world where time does not exist. And so everything is every moment is stacked on top of every other moment. So you could theoretically live in the greatest moment of your life forever and ever and ever. Um, but the, the counter argument to that is without an end everything that comes before it has no meaning. Um, mm. You know, because what what does it matter? What does it matter if, if you know, the good comes on forever? Which, uh, you know, I don't know how many Good Place uh, viewers we have, but the finale of The Good Place also really touched on that of like, you know, if you can live in quote-unquote heaven forever, well, then it just kind of loses loses its magic because there's nothing precious about something that never ends because of it, you know... Mm. Yeah. Anyway, so um, we have that we have that discussion with uh, with Karen and and uh, Dr. Morrow. And I was just wondering if you guys had any thoughts on that or if I'm just being a crazy person. No, I did. I forgot to copy. So when I do my notes, I take them on a separate piece of a separate piece of paper. I was like, it's not a piece of paper. It's a Google. <laughs> What's talk, a piece so. of paper? Can you even write your name? <laughs> No, my my arm gets tired before I get to like the sixth letter. So. Um, yeah, when I pick up a, f- a pen these days, I'm like, wait, how do you hold this again? I'm like, what are letters? I like skip letters as I'm writing. I'm like, well, that's just missing an e. Yeah, it's a scribble. Like, yeah, because like understand the consonants. Because like I know how to spell. Like I'm a good speller. But if I try to write something, I'm like, well, there are like eight letters missing out of this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I, I did have notes for it. I just, I guess I missed pulling them over. Oh, um, I see them now. I, I just put them in there. <laughs> so yeah, so she, so yeah, this is a, this is a theme that we see a lot in fantasy and sci-fi. This whole idea that mortality equals humanity. I mean, outside of vampire erotica. Um, Obviously. but I, I still kind of struggled with, would a robot feel that way? Um, I, I had a really hard time swallowing that. Um, I think with Karen specifically, I think we're meant to sort of understand it as something. Cause she also, she's kind of strikes me. Maybe it's just me. She kind suicidal? of strikes me as a very different woken up synth. Like, yeah. than the others in a way of just like, she was made, she wasn't made to be unique. She was made to be a copy of someone who actually existed. That's and true. I think that that maybe did something to her that's a little bit different than the others. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, and I think what I noticed in um, the beginning of the episode with the, the child robot is that you get that glimmer of like who she was supposed to be or who she was made to be. Mm-hmm. And, and you see like her satisfaction with that, like something she's never felt before because, you know, her children rejected her or who were supposed to be her children rejected her. Um, and so you kind of get a sense that like, yeah, she was programmed and while like she didn't choose that part of it is still very much her underlying like desire 
um, or at least what she believes to be her desire. Um, but I, I still, I still struggled with that. I think that it was much more believable to me as her having these programmed maternal instincts to want to procreate and to have that family and to be stuck on that than so much to be stuck on the, uh, mortality of it. Because I think that for her as a caregiver, the, um, lack of mortality would be a benefit and go into her goal of always taking care of whomever um but i don't know mm. okay um because yeah. she was different. yeah i was a little confused about the whole karen thing like she said she wanted um athena dr moore mm -hmm. to make her in a human but she was just gonna upload her to the server. I, I wasn't quite sure what was happening. I think they were just making her liquid, so when they had like some human body, like they could, you know, oh okay, zap her back in. I mean, like they could Leo. wait till they actually have a body. Well, think of like Leo. He's a biological, and I feel like now that we're talking about it, I feel like this is definitely maybe where the show was going in a fourth season. This idea of taking humans and giving them the stronger cognitive abilities of a synth uh -huh. by having that programming but being a biological body with everything else that has to give. I don't know. Hmm. Like, I wonder, like, if you actually took a synth mind and put it in a human body and they're like, what... Why is this so damp all the time and moist and secreting <laughs> things and what it like I feel oh like going from being as as we actually like in a later conversation that that we'll bring up when Sophie was talking um it's actually kind of a perfect segue for when Sophie and Rini are discussing the quote unquote benefits as Sophie sees them of being a synth versus being a human um you know what is it you know, she's like, you know, they're neat and tidy and clean and all of this. And like, you know, you see Rini like agreeing, like, yeah, fuck yeah. I don't, you know, I don't ever have to go to the bathroom. I don't have to shower. I don't have to brush my teeth. Because, I don't like, fart. I don't, I don't poop. fart. There's girl. no nothing. There's no periods. There's no period cramps. There's no snotting. There's no sinus <laughs> infections. I don't get a sore throat. Like all of it. I'm like, fuck yeah, that sounds great. Um, but then Sophie continues and, you know, her messiness as she sees it also bleeds into emotion and not mm -hmm. wanting to feel... Um, you know, all Ew. of these awful things. And, you know, for, for, you know, for looking at Rini, for a teenage girl with like a shitty fucking family, um, it was really interesting to see how that broke Rini because she wants to be able to feel things normally and have a normal family. Like she yeah. is pulling back as a way to protect herself. Um, as you know, and that's, I, I don't think it's what she wants, but she sees it as a necessary thing versus Sophie being like, this sounds delightful because, you know, she's sort of idolizes how compartmentalized, not even mm -hmm. compartmentalized, not even like the synths are putting their emotions anywhere um, as she sees it. You know, it's just kind of like, well, everything is just neat and tidy. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, that it was it was super interesting to see Rini's breakdown as a result of Sophie. Yeah, because they were both using it as a coping mechanism, mm -hmm. but it seems that Sophie was much more aware of why she was doing it. And maybe that's because we see that she goes to therapy for it. We see that, like, she has confronted her parents really fight against it, versus Rini's parents are, like, not there. That's why she's kind of, like, retreating. Well, I might as well this. be a robot. Yeah, exactly. 
So I think that there's definitely, they have different support systems. Um, but yeah, that was like really heartbreaking to me. Um, they're both so cute and sweet that mm-hmm. like, it's just kind of like, and the thing is, I get it. I fully understand why you'd want to be a synth. And like, I think that if we actually had robots around like synths, that would absolutely be a thing. Like, oh, yeah. no doubt that that would absolutely be a thing. I totally get that. Oh, for sure. And, like, it made me think about, like, well, what do we have in our society? Because, of course, something like that must exist. And I was thinking about, like, all these different things. And it, it, like, struck me that I think that furries are actually very similar (laughs) in in the sense of, like, um, the escapism that comes from role-playing this. And so I don't actually know much about furries so i had to like look this up a little bit <laughs> so um, your browser history is chef's kiss right it's, now oh yeah totally <laughs> got i got in some weird places um but oh shit where is this okay so like you know um in the furry communities and it's it's referred to as a fandom so it is very much like community-based um mm-hmm. lots of sharing of ideas creativity everything but you know um within that like you are reborn as this character that you create mm-hmm. like you choose your gender your age and the species that you are um and so you have all this control over your identity and um and so you can kind of you infuse yourself but you get to infuse like an idealized version of yourself and live it out and so there's kind of like this and the thing is, like, the community is very accepting, obviously. I mean, if people are going to get dressed up in, in in animal costumes, like, it's going to be a very accepting community. Um, <laughs> and so it, it's just, like, people get to escape into these persona, or I guess they're called fursonas, sorry. Excuse, um, excuses to our furry <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Um, and, and just kind of, like, sink into the comfort of being this per this animal i guess that's accepted and loved and has friends and something that maybe within their own community at home in suburban bumblefuck america or wherever um where they're not you know they they're not seen as like mainstream or fitting in or whatever um and so it all both of them they're escapism and it's it's totally understandable so i have a question yes right so you know, you said you'd absolutely understand if if putting your your mind into a synth were were a thing. Like we could, you know, mm-hmm. you'd get rid of all the ickiness of 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 of, of your skin bag suit. Um, you would not be like a you know a mushy meat sack. You're great. Mm-hmm. You're clean. You charge out of a port. You're fine. Here's the thing: you would also lose certain physical sensations. So let's say that you're you have the option of disregarding, you know, poopy, peeing, sweating, having to brush your teeth, getting sick. Great. But you also had to give up orgasms. You get to enjoy the proximity. <laughs> that is some bullshit. <laughs> no one's buying that, Mia. You were just letting them down easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I sometimes would miss picking my nose. That's its own feeling, I guess. Q-tips in the ears. Yeah. Um, like uniquely human sensation. But uh, imagine this world where there's conscious sense, and from that, a whole new commerce of of synthism, where you could go to like the what are they called in the in the show? The um, like the synth dealers, the the hacker right. people. If you could go and be like, I like would hacker? like to stick my Q- a Q tip in my ear and feel heaven. 
Like, what if that was, like, instead of, like, a, a nose job, that's what synths did, is to buy these experiences that they could, like, program in. <laughs> so you think that that people are perverts enough that they would find a way to program around it? Like, to find a way to... Oh, yeah. Synth- for lack okay, of a better word, let's, synthetically let's, let's simulate... Let's talk about porn on the internet. Yeah. So, you know, um, video streaming is a huge thing these days. We all do it. It's easy, whatever. Um, do we? It's almost hard to, it's, it's hard to remember there was a time when you'd sit there for half an hour waiting for an image to, like, fully <laughs> appear on your screen. And this is, like, I have, like, snapshots of this in my memory as a kid. Um, and... And so when you think about like video technology, um, the whole hovering over the status bar and seeing like what that scene was, all of those, all of those technologies and uh, improvements came as the result of porn. The amount, the percentage of the internet alone that is porn is more than you can imagine. So yes, do I think that humans could figure out a way in Jeff Goldblum's voice, na- nature finds a way. <laughs> mm. Nature. So, so the fact that porn has always been on the bleeding edge of technology mm-hmm. means that if human consciousness were implantable in a nice, not at all squicky clean um, synth body, that we would find a way to simulate pleasure. I think that, well, you'd have to think of it in the value of the creator. So humans who don't want to die or get old or wrinkly, whatever, they're going to figure out a way to transport themselves into a synth perfect body. Um, Even though synths want to go the opposite way, which, fine, trade. Um, But, like, so from that perspective, they want these, like, bodies, but they're going to want them to work properly. Got it. And that's where it would come into play. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, can we move on to Laura and Niska and a little bit of Astrid? Yeah. All right. Speaking speaking of sexy people who we did not have to say, I enjoyed the proximity. Whatever, Mia. Mm. Um, so Laura has arrived to try to help uh, Niska or try to convince Niska to help her synth family. And Niska is basically Joe except without even kids he's like she's like i only give two fucks about astrid fuck all of y'all um yeah, yeah. uh and you know <laughs> i i niska even says i tried Again, to be interesting self- I, I tried to be selfless i i accomplished nothing um yeah and that was for me it's like one of the saddest things that we've experienced from the synths i cannot i have a lisp now apparently <laughs> the synths um losing their innocence is seeing them slowly disengage to protect their own um and it goes back to like we definitely can fathom why societies do it so we can understand why people um protect what they love the most totally fathomable um but it's the the part that's sad is that they've gotten to the point where they feel that that protection is necessary that disengagement is necessary and it's it's really sad to see i mean yeah and you know niska like sort of becoming so disillusioned with everything that Mm -hmm. she is i mean and granted she was disillusioned when she started because she was 
always awake. She yeah. was just, you know, enslaved and, you know, a brothel where people did, where humans did fucking horrible shit to her. And so she tried to do the good thing and then was like, this is not even worth it. Everyone is terrible. But hey, here's this one person who loves me for me. Um, and that's not all Not because I'm... they seem like Pavarotti. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I just, I, I like that we got, again, this sort of Laura having an argument with someone about partialism, except the interesting thing with, with Niska is everything terrible has always happened to her. And she's mm-hmm. the one who came back at the very end of the episode to, to save Laura and Mia, like her, her human and synth family and fuck up, um, Hester. Whereas Joe is like all in on this pamphlet of living in this weird fucking city. Joe and his pamphlets. Fuck. Um, did you have anything about this scene, Shaheen, or? Um, okay if you didn't. Sorry. The Laura and and Niska scene? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of said before what, what interests me, and this is how exactly you were saying, how Niska is making an exception for Astrid, um, in the argument that she's making. And, um, that's kind of what should be your first clue. You know, your kind of your first red flag is, um, wait a minute. I, this argument that I'm making is not entirely coherent because I'm making these obvious blatant exceptions for it. Um, so there must, surely there must be other people like Astrid. If I, if I was, if I was able to find one, you know, just kind of randomly uh, standing around in a bar, they can't be that rare, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, there are other ones like her and, uh, um, that should occur to her, uh, to, to Niska, you know? Um, this kind of goes back to the tribalism thing. Is, um, you know, I was going to talk about this later when we talk about Hester. Um, but yeah, like when, when they say my kind and your kind, I understand that like it's, it's very understandable to resort to these sorts of group identities when you, you're being targeted based on group identity. Um, but isn't the, the original sin that the existence of the, of the, that sort of thinking of uh, you know, the tribal thinking, isn't that, what's the problem? Like, it's not which tribe you're on. It's just the problem of that way of thinking. So if you want to counter it by, um, you know, talking about my kind and, you know, privileging your, preferring your kind, then, um, you would just be perpetuating it. Deep. Um. <laughs> um, I don't know. What do you guys think? No, I mean, I, I think that that's valid. And, you know, for if it weren't super obvious that this is, again, the thesis of the the sort of final two episodes, the next sort of big scene that we have is Maddie convincing Max to go help his synth family when Max was like, he only wanted to take care of this new colony. Um, Mm. you know, that is his, you know, what, you know, his, his sort of where he wants to focus his attention, but then Maddie, you know, convinces him to, to widen it. And I think that that is speak. I mean, as much as I have mentioned that I am not a huge Max fan, that is sort of very central to I'm an, I'm not, I am definitely not. (laughs) Um, 
but that, you know, that is the core of who he is, is this sort of very gentle and nurturing soul. And so, you know, all Maddie had to be, you know, was say like, you know, all of these people need your help. Like, yes, Mm. you're taking care of these wayward robots on a train, on an abandoned train, but, you know, all of these other, you know, your family needs your help. You know, humans do need your help. And so he was sort of the easiest one to convince of all that. Mm -hmm. No one else gives a shit about Max. No, I I, I do. I, I actually like when you're, when you're framing it that way, um, it does remind me of how, like, it, I mean, it gives me a little bit more empathy for Joe and Max, um, uh, in that, in Niska, in that, like, not only do they have, they feel this, um, need to, like, help the rest, like, they do feel it, whether their first instinct is to protect their, protect their own, they do feel it, um, but I think, like, the real, the noble struggle between that is by doing that, are they putting these other people in danger? Like, is it is it selfish for their, for them to follow their conscience at the conscience at the expense of people who are relying on them? It's, I especially see that with like Max and Joe. You know, Joe see you know he's a father, so I can kind of like get how he feels like he has to protect them and if he doesn't like it's his fault and like max has all these like baby robots depending on him (laughs) if he doesn't protect them if he goes into this and then they all get killed as a result um and we we kind of see that um in these two episodes um when the plan goes wrong and you were responsible for the plan and a bunch of people die you know, so I don't know. I guess I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> okay. Um, Shaheen, anything? Or we can talk about sort of the big finale. Uh, we can move on, yeah. Um, so I guess everyone busts out. People are trying to bust in. Hester's an asshole. Poor Pete. Um, fuck, where do we start with this? Um <laughs> Let's see. Oh, I so one thing that I and I can't remember if we talked about this um, before, but I find it really interesting that that conscious synths find comfort in touch. Mm-hmm. Like they're always holding each other's hands, like, like kindergartners mm-hmm. going to the park. From yeah, care. Yeah, like you know, and considering that it's not like like was that something programmed? Was that something that they observed and think that okay, well that should feel comforting. Do they feel comforted? Do they just enjoy the proximity? Like they enjoy the proximity, yeah. <laughs> um well, I can think of reasons, universal reasons why conscious beings would enjoy physical touch with other um, uh, you know, individuals of their own uh species. You know, because it gives you a sense of security and, and safety in numbers and, you know, not being alone and, and being protected. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's kind of bullshit. I think they just, um, they should, <laughs> I think it would be, um, more fun if they had like weird. Like if they touched they, foreheads if they, or something? If they could, came up with butts. weird things that like, in retrospect, would make sense that you'd be like, ah, oh, that's funny. Yeah, I see why they would do that or something. You know, I don't know. Like maybe touch their uh, charge portals. Yeah, <laughs> Char- charge kinky. portals. 
<laughs> have a little spark. Port, but yeah, red portals, hot, yeah, so hot. Um, yeah, it was Hester fucking shit up left and right. Um, yeah. Well, this Hester. conversation between Hester and Leo, uh, Hester and, and Laura, Karen. are we going to do that here? Which one? Or the we, the conversation between that? Hester and Karen. Um. Well, that and also the one with with Laura. Um, next episode. Do, that's the next episode. Oh, that's the next episode. Yeah, that right, was the sorry. that was the finale. Like that was the actual finale. So the quality of right. escape is we have the conversation with Hester and Karen, and Karen's you know I wish to be human, and Hester said you wish to be less than you are. Um, right. And Karen. Says, and before that, there's a there's a scene where where um, Hester says, "I will not betray my kind mm-hmm. or our kind." Yeah. Um, yeah, that just, uh, relates to, again, I want, uh, the, what I was talking about before in terms of, like, um, is the, like, isn't Hester perpetuating what she's, um, fighting to end, right? Hester and- doesn't have a great sense of irony. Is, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I feel like she feels that if she doesn't fight for them, nobody will. But she only she sees it lies as, down and takes it. She only sees fight as the she sees fight as the only option as well. And like yes. b- by fight I mean yeah. death. Yeah. But like killing Dr. Morrow is not like that doesn't stop everything. Well, I think she feels that she at that point she asks what's her face to take her to her leader. So or manager, whatever. Um, so she's she's trying to find. Like, Hester the wanted senior. to speak to the manager. Yeah. Um, and so she's trying to find the person, the brain behind everything. I think. So in that way, it's like you know, nip it in the bud. But at the same time, like she doesn't sort of understand that there's like an entire bureaucracy of company behind it that like just killing yes. Doctor Morrow won't solve it. Um, I mean, she was, she worked in a factory her entire life, so I'm not, I don't think it's- <laughs> She's not um, super bright. What? She's not super bright. She, she's ignorant. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I can't remember who said it, um, but I have the note here. Hurting the people that did it won't bring them back. And so, you know, yeah. Hester, Hester believes Pete that- Pete says that. that. Yes, Pete. Because fucking Pete. Pete's great. Um, <laughs> because Hester- Dude, Pete has- Hell of a uh, de-escalation skills, man. Right? Like, <laughs> Excellent police work, Pete. Um, yeah, remember when he was, was just a weenus and, and then he just became like the best? Right? Remember when Pete <laughs> was pissed off at his uh, wife's sexy therapist who made him sandwiches? Um, <laughs> to be and, fair, like, he was sex- super sexy. He was super sexy. But like hurting hurting the people that did it won't bring them back. And so, you know, Hester seems to seems to equate revenge with justice. Mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily the same thing. Like, because again, killing Dr. Morrow wouldn't be, it would literally only be revenge and also kind of against the wrong person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was surprised that uh, she wasn't brought to um, Milo, but I guess he wasn't there. Yeah. Milo's too busy running a fucking company, but again, yeah. Like why they wouldn't be like, actually the head bitch in charge is this dude named Milo. Because she said, "Take me to the highest. Who's you know, the highest person in charge?" And I would, I would have thought that would be Milo. But I guess maybe, uh, maybe a jet um, setter. You know, Elon. Elon isn't over at you know at the Tesla right. headquarters all the time. 
Well, and I also, guess Athena is like second in command. Yeah, and like if we, if we're talking about divisions, like the person overseeing everything is not going to have as much inside information or control over the actual division itself. Project, yeah. Um, yeah. But I meant, yeah, so like, it's interesting with, um, with Hester, right? Cause she thinks that she always, like, the reason she gives, like, she, what she cites as, you know, reason for why she thinks she should be murdering these people is that they tortured us and, and, um, you know, uh, killed us and, you know, they, think we have no value we have no value to them and so on Mm -hmm. um and you know she she's kind of like a violent resistance movement person but does hester have a wrong point you know if she says you know they tortured and killed us and they don't give a shit about us except for maybe like five people out of billions who might give Mm -hmm. a shit like statistically those people are just you know an aberration that you can you know write off and ignore and so is Hester wrong? I mean, her, her whole thing of killing Dr. Morrow is maybe not the smartest thing, but in, in terms of her worldview against, you know, biological humans, is she wrong? Yeah, I mean, that's the question, right? <laughs> and like, I mean, this also ties to the conversation she has later with Laura about, uh, you know, Gandhi and, and, and stuff, which I definitely want to talk about. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, violent resistance versus nonviolent resistance. Uh, she thinks that it's uh, that violence is um, inevitable, um, but yeah, uh, she she doesn't she doesn't really seem to seems to think that um, violence begets violence. Uh, that doesn't seem like an important factor to her. But um, yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking about this, uh, again, this my kind, your kind mentality. Uh, so you guys agree that I'm, I'm still confused. So do you guys, are you saying that Hester, uh, it is, what is her mistake exactly? Is it that she thinks in turn, is it, is the tribalism that's, that's the problem or something else? I don't, it's her black and white thinking. Yeah, because I, I, alf- I also wonder, you know, cause, She's saying, you know, fuck humans, like, you know, synths are better, synths forever, except you have synths like Mia or to some degree Niska or, you know, especially Max, like, who upon waking, and I'm, you know, I guess that there's, those are the original ones, so those I'm not sure entirely count, but like, you know, we meet other synths who wake up and don't immediately hate humans, and so... Yes, there are ones that do, but with in in terms of Hester, like she assumes that all of them will and should hate humans, like, and so mm-hmm. I, I think that she assumes that everyone will all of all of the sense will be on her side. Yes, I think Which it's, I don't it's, know she's... if that's, and again, that's her black and white thinking of like we're awake, fuck humans. In her her um limited ability to, to empathize with different situations from her own because she sees all she sees is like being mistreated in the factory as a factory robot mm-hmm. um and everything that happened after that so yeah would you say that the synths are oppressed 
a sense, not conscious? No, the the conscious ones. Like um, by season no, three, for sure. They have no rights. What did you say, Joe? By by season three, for sure. Like I don't think that there were enough of them in season two to kind of you know. And when Maddie is on the phone trying to like call the police and be uh-huh. like, "Hi, there's a crazy synth," and she's like, you know, the operators like mm. quit telling stories. So I don't think that at that point they're oppressed, but I think in season three, absolutely. Uh huh. Well, yeah. I mean, that's uh, Hester's argument, right? Her argument is that we are oppressed. And that justifies us doing these things. I mean, Hester was um, not wrong about a lot of things, but she was also kind of willy-nilly wanting to kill people. Like, killing people. Yeah, I mean, I was wondering if you were saying, if you would agree that you should have, because, you know, Bubs, you brought up empathy. And I was wondering, do you think you should have empathy towards your oppressor? Um, I... Yes and no. Um, I think it's a lot to ask. Um, but I think that it not so much empathy. I think it's um knowledge of the situation. Why do humans treat synths the way that they do? Um, thinking about why synths were created in the first place, seeing the history of humans subjecting their own to these jobs in which their answer was to create synths so that their humans didn't have to go into mines or wherever. Um, I think that gives context to it in the understanding that they did not know that synths had this capacity for consciousness. They were just an appliance. Um, And I think that understanding that, understanding why it's going to be a transition to go from conscience, conscious sense to citizenship, basically, an equal voice yeah. in society. Um, I think that goes a long way. And I think that that's what some of the others see, um, especially the ones that have been around longer to have a better sense of like our society, etc. the original. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that goes very far. I think there's an issue of ignorance with Hester She's too, I don't know if it's emotionally compromised or I don't know Lack how of emotionally compromised. Laura would categorize her because she said, obviously, there's a diagnosis to be had there. Um, yeah, I mean, is there a diagnosis? I mean, she's just a um, well, yeah. resistance fighter well, but like, there's- um, who believes in violent resistance. Um, I think that there... We might think she's deeply wrong, but... And she's definitely disturbed, but it's not always like a specific diagnosable mental illness. It's just, yeah, she's definitely d- disturbed and uh, doesn't have a lot of empathy. And sorry, what? A little bit antisocial. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, so. But yeah, well, I, I want to talk more about her when we get to the the end of the, the other episode. Okay. Um, maybe yeah. we'll just have a little moment of silent. F- Silence for Pete, and then uh, we'll take a quick break and come back and talk episode eight. You know, I forgot about that uh, happening. I don't like Pete dying. <laughs> they were a family with their Sith baby. Yeah, they were just about to be happy. They were. Uh, it, it's, yeah. it seemed like um, 
Kay was gonna get over her bullshit. And well, as soon as the synth baby came along. He's a good dude. Yeah. It turns out he's a good dude. Well, R.I.P. Pete, <laughs> you did a good job. You you de-escalated that weenus. situation as best you could. Sorry, Hester's yeah. the fucking worst. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, he was great, well, and the actor killed it. He was and, so good, yeah. so good, yeah. so good. Also, the actress for for Karen killed it too. Um, everyone's so yeah. great, and I love that. I love watching it on Amazon because I mm-hmm. fucking suck at names. And, and you can like, pause mm-hmm. it; and it tells you who's on screen. Yeah, Every, yeah, the X-ray yeah. thing. I'm like, oh yeah, right, right, Karen, Karen. Oh, right, right, Doctor Morrow slash Doctor Kino, whatever her. Name. Like, I only know her whole name now. I'm just like, oh, this is mm-hmm. so much better than like when I was watching it on wherever I was watching it before. Technology. Mm. I wonder if porn is the one who started that. Where you're like, you know, I want to know who this porn performer is. <laughs> I bet you. It was. <laughs> like, if you're on, like, some super close-up and you're like, whose dick is that? And then you pause it and it lets you know. It does, yeah. Anyway. Dick recognition. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. All right. We're going to take a quick break and... Also, the cake can cry. Yay. Yay. What? Oh, yeah, she can. She, she Karen has... can cry. It's weird. Like, why would Elster build that? But anyway. Grief is, you oh. know, she can experience that. That's, that's a would, huge thing. Why would he make the robots hug? Same reason. <laughs> yeah. Leo Elster. Or no. What which one is the dad? Um Dave, David. Da- David. 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 Alright, uh we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back for the finale. Alright. We're back. Episode eight. Season finale of season two. Um yeah, we start is. off what wait what? Oh no, I was just cheering. I was cheering as well. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate Thanks. all that. Um so the the first thing I have on our list is, as we mentioned, uh, Joe showing Laura the brochure of a synth-free community. Hmm. Um, yeah. Joe saying, you know, get back to humanity, uh, which is kind of like, he's like kind of doing an extreme, like, love thy neighbor, except not actually loving thy neighbor. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. What'd you guys, yeah. what'd you guys think of that? Well, scene? I mean, because it... Raises this question because uh, Laura says that it's kind of a backwards thing to do. Is um, she says that, like you know you're in denial about something, you're in denial about the future or the present or whatever. Um, Wait, Joe or Pete? Pete's dead. <laughs> uh, no, Laura says this to Joe that this is uh, these sorts of oh. communities are just a bunch of backwards people who don't want to accept the new reality um and <clears throat> i was wondering well um what principle is behind that um like do you have to accept any change into your life or are there changes where you can say well i never wanted you know i never signed up for this so i'm out like and you wouldn't be backwards it's just you don't want that or do you have to accept any change that occurs in, in society? Like, this seems like, like, it's a new technology and, okay, a lot of people are adopting it, but like, can you still say, well, I, I don't like it, so I'm not going to adopt it. And if, and if that means I have to live somewhere else, then so be it. Like when you didn't have a smartphone? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are people who live <laughs> off the grid or, you know, there are Amish people and, and, and such. And, and yeah, they do kind of have to live somewhere else. 
but um they accept that consequence um but i uh, would do we call him backwards or they just they just want to live a different way so i, I mean think if you didn't know about sentient synths i think that if you want to be you know the modern day mennonite slash amish i think well, that you're, that's you're gonna you're gonna Mow your lawn yourself and fold your you're own gonna, laundry. Your and Kids are going to do their chores and they're going to get 50 cents for each one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Then the community makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Then it, then it's like, it's like saying I'm going to move to a village without television because. Right. It's those weird families who raise their kids without TV. Because. The, or like, the or the families that are like, I'm not going to give my kid any processed sugar. And then your kid's the fucking weirdo at the first birthday party going ape shit. Yeah. Or is ostracized because, like, all the other kids get cupcakes and they get to eat, like, fucking raisins. Yeah, they're sitting but there. That's like, my question, my mom though. So. says that sugar makes you an eel. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have to accept any change that other people adopt? Yet? Like, or is there something no, special about these examples that you're making? I think I think that the thing that I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Bubs, but like the point that you were sort of gravitating towards is it's one thing to sort of raise them without unconscious synths, you know, to mm-hmm. sort of be like, we don't, you know, people can do this. There's no reason why we shouldn't be doing our own things mm-hmm. versus sort of it becomes this sort of quote unquote racist issue yeah. where you're like, I don't want them to be around these conscious synths. Yeah, like, the white these, country code. These people are not people to me and I don't want them in my kids' lives. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, was that where you were going with that, Bubs? Yes, absolutely. It's, um, I think I wrote, I gave two examples. Um, oh, did I not give two examples? Oh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, I kind of like, so I, it's impossible for me to not equate this with um the rhetoric about illegals are taking our jobs and and and, like overflowing our um our programs and even though like when you actually look at the math like more illegals pay um taxes on security social securities that don't belong to them and they never see the benefits from um so basically they're doing us a service in that if we're going to talk about that specifically um and so it's and also illegal immigrants doing jobs that Americans don't, don't want to do. Yeah, there. What was the, like? The do you want to do backbreaking farm work? Exactly. For, you know, a dollar fifty an hour. Like, no, you don't. Otherwise, you would be doing it. And so, it, when they cracked yeah, down in the on that, case, it, in fields went unharvested because nobody wanted to do it. Like, yeah. Anyways, same thing. But like, yeah, so so I see it like kind of the rhetoric of they're the problem. This is what's going, you know, finding a scapegoat. And it, in in that sense, like it goes back to the conversation we talked about earlier with Laura, where she's like, excuse you, no, robots did not get in the way of us. It's you fucked you our fucked robot. <laughs> That's what interrupted our relationship Um, in reminding him that like, they have agency in this relationship that they have with robots. Um, and and so, yeah, it becomes much more of what we would traditionally view as a racially motivated separation for Joe. Not for people who, you know, want their kids to do chores and not, you know, whatever. Um, so that's, I did have an issue with it from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your name? I mean- Shaheen. Sorry, go ahead. So, sorry, what were you asking? 
I was, you had a note, um, we can't just walk away from people we care about when it starts to cost us something. Was that related to your note about the Laura's inter- positive reinterpretation of the kids' lives? I just uh, want to make sure that we touched on all that. That's <laughs> no, it's, uh, I was just thinking most people do that in my experience. Um, I mean, you could argue everyone does that depending, it's just that different people have different thresholds for that cost. Like, at some point, if a relationship becomes too costly for you, you terminate it. Um, and it's just a matter of how much, how costly is, is costly enough for you. Um, and yeah, so, because Laura was saying like, oh, we're friends with these people and, um, we can't just leave them now because it's now being friends with them is kind of a pain in the ass now. Um, yeah. I mean, I really admired that, first of all. I was like, that's kind of rare. Most people would actually say, you know what? Fuck these people. Who the fuck are they? Like, mm-hmm. even if they were people, like, forget that they're robots. Like, most people would be like, dude, let's just take our kids and go somewhere safe. Um, you know, and so the fact that she's thinking that was admirable. And, but I also, I was also thinking that everyone kind of does that. Like, no one, there's when people say unconditional love i just think with that, an asterisk i just think they're confused yeah i'm like no there's never going to be unconditional love there's going to be some set of conditions where you stop loving the person it's just that you're saying your your threshold is very very high i believe so anyway what's, that's what's kind of interesting about this this you know get away from synths who are dangerous you know and whatever bad influence on the kids um it's sort of a really it's a funny point that gets brought back around when sophie is at the birthday party um and they they have it before all the synths are woken up and they have a synth clown and the other dad was like yeah no this is great like no way a synth is going to be a kitty diddler or fiddler, excuse me. I believe the British term is a kitty fiddler. <laughs> and so, you know, not to be whatever, but Joe is basically like moving his kids away from a population that at least are not pedophiles. <laughs> yeah. Like, not yeah. to say that everyone in Synth Free Village is a pedophile, but I'm just saying like of the grand population, if you include synths in it, then it dilutes the percentage of pedophiles that exist. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, I like that, that someone is. I like that someone is uh, bringing to Joe's attention some 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 of the like positive things about having sense, especially because it's something that is not something you can ever replace with a human. Like, if if he was like, well, they work faster or, or longer and they don't get tired, you might say, well, okay, yeah, that's just a quantitative difference. But this is a this is something you can only expect from a a synth and an unawoken synth is that they will never have any intentions to, towards your child. As long as the person is a human, you can never guarantee that. Yeah. You know? So, so that's interesting, yeah. No no kitty fiddlers. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um Well no, it, it's I thought that was a great scene because um Yes, what I said about, like, Joe kind of feeding into these racially motivated um, separationist tactics. I don't know if that's the right word, but um, there, there is, like, he, he was fired from his job because of synths, mm-hmm. you know? So he has a very real experience 
where he was pushed out because of, of synths. So it's, I think it's unfair to be completely dismissive from that perspective. Um, but I feel like he should see the bigger picture of it, of the role that they actually play in society and the fact that they, if they are conscious, how they are just being, as marginalized as he is in a sense. He's being intentionally myopic. Yeah. And I think also because he feels jealous of Laura's attention being taken away from him when he feels guilty for, as Laura rightly pointed out, him yeah. shagging Anita and fucking up their family. Yeah. So like, I think Joe's reaction in su- like, if we remove all of his sort of personal baggage bullshit in a certain way, like, yeah, I could kind of see like what, I, but you know, if you, if you kind of really look at the whole picture, it's not as sort of altruistic isn't the right word, but maybe pure. His reasons aren't quite as like pure as he maybe believes. Yes. You know, yeah. like he's emotionally compromised as most people are in any given situation. Yes. <laughs> um, Speaking of emotionally compromised, does that work as a segue? Um, if we're talking about uh, Dr. Morrow and she's oh. talking to V um, and mm. V leaves and. That was a little heavy handed, but. I loved it. In my in my transition or. No, no. <laughs> well, that's a given, but I, I meant the scene. <laughs> what? What? Tell, tell me your thoughts on it, Shane. Um. I mean, I always, I guess I, I never really, like, was really hardcore into this, this whole yeah. V thing. Yeah. Um, it was a little, I, I don't know, but I mean, I, I really love the idea of, like, her starting an AI from, like, the, the initial conditions of the AI was the final conditions of her daughter's brain. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, and then, and it evolved from there. Um, but yeah, and then like when she was disappearing or like leaving the system, what what was that about? Like she kept making incomplete sense. Like a computer, a computer code, it just leaves the system. It doesn't make any noise. It doesn't like die die away or anything. It doesn't like start saying incomplete sentences and nonsense words. Um. Anyway, that's more of a well actually. <laughs> But, um, I disagree. It was overall, I think it was, I, I, I like that V kind of just decided to, like, became independent and left. I guess that's what I like about it the most. So, go ahead, Bubs. Well, so, um, you guys know that I've struggled with the identity of robots and what drives them because there's no evolutionary basis for it. And so we're just kind of, it's hard for me to connect who they are with what their goals are because they're they're very human um when i don't think that they would be so for me v who is based on the brain waves of a human and the fragments of um a human's brain firings um to me that's super interesting where they created this environment of cognition um, with built-in memories and just kind of like let it unfold. So, yeah. but um, I feel like they didn't they didn't get as much out of that uh, you know plotline as as I guess it had potential. Yeah, but um, I I think it's um, that would just be me. Well, no, I I think I still found it super interesting, 
And um, yeah, no, it was it was pretty, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think I would agree that I would love more V and more like insight into what she is and what will become of her. So I, I liked V kind of coming into her own and finding her own identity. Um, we just didn't spend enough time with her as a character to kind of care. Yeah, but I, I still like scientifically, I thought it was fascinating um and so for me yeah. like um technology wise mm-hmm. that was the technology that really held my attention um and then i thought that i know that she you thought it was heavy handed but i thought it was just like you know she knows it's not her daughter but she still you know it has this relationship with it um she's mm. been talking to it for months if not years um and and so this whole goodbye scene um, that I think it's just kind of like as things are being erased, if you think of a brain being erased, like the pathways start getting corrupted. So you just whatever is left. And so you have that repetition of you and me and dad laugh the dog. You and, and like, so thanks. Sure. Um, and so it's it's kind of just like this echo of everything she lost and worked for. Um, and so I, I really felt it. I thought that was such a great scene and I liked that little weird computer piece. Thing. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I liked it. Yeah, no, it was, it, it was, it was still, you know, fun and, um, moving. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, go ahead. Go ahead. There you go. <laughs> um, there was one bit that I, that I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on. Um, and I had kind of forgotten about it until I actually read the notes. Um, before V decides to sort of leave into the computer ether, um, when Dr. Morrow was explaining to V that the reason that she can't give her a physical body was because she realized that conscious synths are, are too human, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to feel yeah. morally okay with erasing one and, you know, which, which obviously sort of sets up perfectly Odie, um, you know, being a conscious synth and then relinquishing his consciousness so that V can take him in season three, spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that, that, that she couldn't in good faith, you know, be able to erase a conscious synth because to her, you know, she, she was a believer then that they are people. And I wonder if she had like had the opportunity to explain that to Hester, if, mm if it would have made any kind of a difference. But then I guess on the other hand, we do have Laura almost having the same conversation with Hester down the line and that didn't actually help. So, you know, maybe I yeah. answered my own question. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the case was made to Hester pretty much. I, I agree. It could have been, maybe they could have done a better job of making the case to her. I mean, the, the, like she, what she doesn't understand is the context hypothesis. Um, <laughs> so, do you guys know what that is no no <laughs> go on oh. what is that so, Shaheen? <laughs> I, I think i mean i think i explained this in a different in another episode but the I contact hypothesis is that <laughs> well thank you that really encourages me to, <laughs> to say things no i'm trying to make you feel like a proper professor just the exercise in futility <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, the contact hypothesis that the the root of prejudice is lack of contact. Oh, yeah, I remember um, this. And that, and you know, you can also infer from that the best way to uh, counter it is by um, ha- contact. So that's why I always say, 
if you feel like you're making generalizations about any group of people, the best thing you can do is just go hang out with them um, for a little while. And then, and because what happens when you hang out with people is you see their complexities and, and that kind of, uh, destroys those images that you have. Anyway, so Hester doesn't understand that there's, you know, a learning curve with this. Well, I completely agree as I get really upset with our whole election system where in a presidential election, my vote is less than other states as a a dweller of New York. Um, When I feel that one of the reasons why, for example, California and New York are so liberal is that we live on top of each other. We constantly have to deal with each other. So we come to know and appreciate people who are very different from ourselves. Because everyone is dealing with the same bullshit. That's, that's the best part about New York is every, like when the train fucks up, there is a fucking global cornucopia of different people who are all mad in the exact same degree waiting on the goddamn train platform. Just everyone from all walks of life speaking 250 different languages fucking pissed off at the MTA. Yeah. Beautiful. Of course. It, yeah, it's that every single day. And it's also like, <laughs> Um, you get caught in the rain, you're walking like on a fancy sidewalk and a car drives by and you get drenched. You're in that with everyone next to you. Like it's just every, whatever. It's shared hatred. Yeah. And, and what is it? Uh, there's an, there's an old Calvin and Hobbes comic that, uh, <laughs> Calvin's in a super bad mood. I'm sure I've talked about it on the podcast. He's in a super bad mood and Susie comes up to him waiting, waiting for the bus uh-huh. in the morning. And she's like, you know, Hey, what's going on? And you know, he just goes, hmm, you know, like makes, makes like a really pouty face. And then Susie gets mad too. And then you see Calvin, like sort of his thought, the whole, you know, his thought of the whole comic was, you know, nothing helps a bad mood, like spreading it around. <laughs> So that, that, you know, it's, it's not as a beautiful sentiment as, you know, living on top of each other and learning, you know, to, to love everyone because we all have the same struggles in life and all that. But, you know, we can all be mad about the same things. Well, I no, yeah, I think it's like your pain is my pain <laughs> in that sense. And, and so like when, when it's yeah. like a real person in front of you who's, who's being like, this happened to me, this happens to me every day, and this is my life. And you're like, how can you sit there, not listen to that and be like, Anytime that it's my job to vote, I'm going to vote thinking about what that person told me. Um, versus, like, if you live in a very homogeneous corner of the United States and you don't, you're not aware of all these issues that are happening, you don't think about, you just think about everyone in your neighborhood is just like you who has all the same problems and not problems that are outside of that. And so, yeah. Yeah. Well, the question I was asking you before was, don't you think that by virtue of what you just said, you're doing the same thing to those people that you're talking about in other parts of the United States? like you, Or do you think it's okay to do that to them? What do you mean? Uh, like you're saying you, the bubs is othering them? Yeah, and stereotyping them. Um. Well, I think statistics would say that I'm not stereotyping. Um, I think that, I think it, it's a good Well, you know, point. a lot of, st- a lot of stereotypes are, are statistically Yes, sure, okay. Correct. Thank you for, yes, you know, you're right. <laughs> um, but I think that, like, what I'm trying to say here 
is that I have my own personal experiences that I've had growing up. And if I lived in an area where everyone's experiences were like mine, I would only know this small pocket of things. Right. Right. No, I'm not disagreeing with that at all. So I'm just saying, but you do you really have you lived in those parts of the country? Well, that's a great point. But again, it doesn't negate the fact that they all have a similar perspective that is not very diverse. You're saying because of the lack of diversity that exists there. Yes. I'm not saying that like I I'm not saying that I understand their perspective at all. I'm saying that I don't. What I'm saying, though, is that I don't know theirs, but I might know like 80 other types of backgrounds <laughs> because I live on top right. of like so many different people and all the things that they've been through. So I'm trying to compare that like all the walks of people that I deal with on a daily basis has an impact right. that's outside of my own personal experiences versus if I were to live in another part of the country where everyone's experiences are exactly the same, I'd only have to worry right. about experiences that are exactly like mine, regardless of whether I personally know those experiences. Right. No, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, that's consistent with the contact hypothesis. Um, but I was just pointing out that it's, it might also be worth recognizing that, um, what you're saying about, like, as a hypothetical is definitely true that if you lived in, in a part of the world or the country where you had less exposure, less contact with other, um, cultures or groups of people, that you'd be more likely, statistically speaking, you'd be more likely to, um, not be open to their experiences or not understand their experiences and and things of that sort. I think that would be statistically correct. Um, But to then go on to say this specific part of the country, everyone is that way. Then that to me, it sounds like um, you're kind of doing the same thing that you're uh, accusing them of doing. And, and I mean, it's, it doesn't negate what you were saying before that mm-hmm. uh about because you were just what you were saying is just the consequence of the contact hypothesis but um the part about like this like to say that there are actually parts of the country where this is the case um would i would then want to uh, yeah I, that's why i ask you like have you lived in those parts of the country because maybe if you live there you'd have the same experience that they would have if they lived in new york in that you'd be like, wow, these people are very different from what I thought. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even remember where we started on this. Um, (laughs) I think I'm just rambling. I feel like I should just stop talking. (laughs) I I will move us along to um, where Hester slash Molly, because apparently she is duplicitous, shocking, um, goes and hangs out with Laura and is like, hey, Leo and Max and everybody sent me over to you, which is a dirty lie. Um, but we have, we, you've been hinting at this whole conversation, this whole podcast, Shaheen, uh, where we're talking about some Gandhi shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so how about you, Gandhi? Yeah, I mean, I like how, uh, cause we actually touched on this before when, um, uh, in the, in another episode we were talking about humans, uh, I forget if it was last time or the time before where we talked about nonviolent resistance because, um, 
Hester and Leo were talking in that episode and, and um, Hester said, has there ever been uh, like a major change, a revolution, has a, a oppression ever been stopped without violence? And uh, I think Leo said no. And then, uh, so I was like, well, what about like Gandhi and, and you know, the whole nonviolent resistance thing? And, um, you know, that, that definitely succeeded. Um, so there's at least a couple of examples of it. And, um, and so I was glad that this episode, they, they actually mentioned Gandhi by name. Um, and Hester's response was a kind of, um, um, kind of weak sauce, but we can, <laughs> we can get to that later. But yeah, I mean, it's Gandhi is really fascinating. Like it's, um, because like when, when you look at the history of what happened, like the people who were protesting, who, you know, Gandhi was inspiring, these people were being beaten and killed and, you know, um, all sorts of things. Um, and every time Gandhi would, uh, say, don't respond with violence, uh, whatever you do, don't do violence. Instead, uh, you can just, um, you can do nonviolent resistance. So you can, for example, boycott things or check out of things or don't you like, if you're a government worker, quit your job. And, uh, if you're like, don't buy British sugar and don't buy, like make your own sugar and things of that sort. Um, just like try to disengage from them, uh, and protest, but peacefully. Uh, and they, and you know, they, um, they did that for, for a number of years. And of course, you know, there was, there was violence, but, um, Gandhi would always condemn it if, um, his side would commit violence. So there was a lot more violence on, on the side of the oppressors. Um, and, but yeah, but it was definitely spectacularly successful. Um, and what Hester says is, um, well, he was killed, which is true. I mean, it's a little sad that, like, after India, you know, became independent from um, the British, uh, you know, um, British rule, then there was also internal tension between Muslim Indians and, and Hindu or not and other, other Indians. Yeah, and that's why they wanted, so that's why we have Pakistan, because, the, um, you know, Muslim Indians wanted to separate and have their own country. And um, Gandhi didn't want that. Um, he wanted all of it to be one country. And um, there was a lot of violence there, like, um, you know, after the British left and, and just like independently of that whole thing, there was a lot of violence between just like Muslims and Hindus. And, um, I mean, to the point of people say, like, there were, like, corpses on the street everywhere and stuff. Um, and, yeah, and, and someone, some extremists that, uh, because of this whole Muslim-Hindu thing, um, was mad at Gandhi and, and shot at him and killed him. Um, but... And, uh, but yeah, uh, that's, I mean, so that's what Hester says is like, he, he was defeated by violence because someone killed him. And Laura says she, he was just killed, not defeated. 
um, because his, yeah, I mean, I, I, she doesn't elaborate, but uh, you could, because I guess his legacy lives on and, and the lessons that he gave us. Um, and yeah, and the fundamental philosophy of, of nonviolent resistance is precisely that um, no matter what you say about how bad the other side is and how much of a victim you are, as soon as you start doing the same thing that they're doing, mm-hmm. um, that erases the, the difference. And, and then you, you know, you, your moral superiority in the, in this situation is not, uh, a given. But if you're never the one engaging in violence and they're just beating you, then everyone knows who's right and who's wrong. <laughs> you know, um, so anyway. I would say yes and. Yes, and because I think yes, it's like an improv- Im- improvisation. <laughs> yeah, well, because it's it's like yes, you're right, you're right, but like I think that's a very privileged thing to say to people who are being persecuted and don't have a voice and are trying to find that voice because it it's a lot to ask to just keep like saying the same thing and not be heard. You know, not that I disagree uh-huh. with. What Do you you're think saying. this applies to the people who Gandhi was speaking to? I I don't know. Do you think their case was different? I don't know. I I just feel like it is. It it's a it's a. I nice mean, back sentiment. then, the sort of persecution. Sorry, what? I, I think it's a nice sentiment, and it has merit. Mm-hmm. I just also think that it's kind and of it like worked, when people. As I was saying. Well, yeah, but it's also like when people say like. I'm having trouble putting this into words. Um, but I guess it's like when people say like, oh, these people, why, why aren't they like going through proper channels? It's like sometimes they have been going through proper channels for years and nobody's and listening. Happened. Nothing is changing. Right. You know, instead so, the rules yeah. are changing to continually keep them out. And so right. to an extent, like I, I don't think it's always fair to say well, just keep trying, you know, just keep, you know, writing your letters, keep like, you know. Well, that's not what Gandhi said, though. He's not saying go through the proper channels. He's saying boycott and resist and, you know, okay. uh, strike and things like that. Um, but nonviolently. And yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but don't use violence. Don't hurt anyone. And okay. there was, you know, a lot of protesting and stuff, sittings and, and things of that sort. But um, again, it, the, the only condition was it all has to be peaceful. Um, there are methods of, you know, resisting, depending on where you live. Like, you know, in Iran, uh, one method of nonviolent resistance for women, for example, is to not wear the hijab the way that they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And just recently they said that um, they arrested a, a bunch of people, um, I think mostly or all women, in the subway because they were um, giving out candies or something and they weren't wearing the hijab, which I assume was intentional. Um, so anyway, there, those are like forms of resistance uh, in that society because it's uh, that's something that the, the oppressor wants you to do. And so whatever they want you to do, just don't do it. But also don't hit them. <laughs> that was the the idea of nonviolent resistance. Um, yeah. Yeah, and like I said, it seems like it worked. I mean, um, 
last thing I was going to say about that is um, uh, the kinds of uh, sort of oppression or um, as you were, as you put it, um, persecution, right? Because you said people are being persecuted. Mm. Um, the types of persecution we were talking about, you know, during Gandhi's time are things like, you know, um, they wouldn't let Indian people walk on certain like sidewalks or sit on a seat on a, you know, uh, public transportation. And they would like, if they, if they wanted to, you know, sit on a normal seat, if they didn't sit where they were supposed to, like, uh, you know, I, I think it was like Gandhi one time was like, refused to sit on the floor. Um, and like he was beaten. Um, but and so I, those are the sorts of things that they faced back then. But, the, but and there's, there's I think certain, we can agree that hopefully we don't like do that anymore. There's a certain irony though with that though, because you know, if you have, you know, the, uh, you know, oppressive Brits versus, you know, the native Indian population, but then within the native Indian population, you have the caste system which is, yeah. you know, again, like, okay, well, you know, maybe an Indian person couldn't sit on the same bench as a white British person, except, you know, the person, you know, in the lowest rung of the caste could not sit on, you know, the same sidewalk as someone from an right. upper rung of a caste. So, you know, it's just kind of like, you always have to find someone yeah. to shit on. There's always yeah, another. Exactly. And the, there's always another. There's always, there's always yeah. another. Um, and then the whole Muslim versus Hindu thing is another example of that. It's like, okay, you got rid of one oppressor, but now you want to fight with each other now. Yeah. Now you have you another have, problem. Like, yeah. You have to you have to redirect people's assholery somewhere. Um, that's why I say that the source of the problem is just this way of thinking. It's not which group you're in, you know. Um, it's just this manner of thinking that's the problem. Uh, the you know the manner of thinking that says my people versus your people, and you know group versus group, so you have as opposed to individual versus individual. <laughs> well, sorry, what? Thing, so oxytocin is you know the love chemical, but it's oh, also yeah. the tribal chemical. Um, it makes you love people uh -huh. more, but it also makes you more wary of outsiders. Yeah. Well, this actually uh, ties into what I was going to say when, because when Laura says, um, you're so human, right? Mm -hmm. After like, uh, Hester talks and she shows her deeply tribal, uh, mm -hmm. tendencies, then Laura is like, wow, you're very human. Yeah. Uh, but that's exactly what we do. Batshit human. And <laughs> look, say everyone what? can be an asshole. She's batshit human. Ha. Yeah, and and I was like, um, that's really interesting because like one theory about why uh, there is confirmation bias. We talked about confirmation bias before, where uh, where like you over give um, you know uh, overly highlight or um, emphasize evidence that's in favor of your theory yeah. and downplay evidence that's against your view. Mm -hmm. Uh, that seems bizarre if you think about it from the perspective of um, truth-seeking, right? Because why would you ever do that? That's not in your benefit to... that You'd be misled if you do that, right? You better just weigh evidence the right way, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or equally. So what what is the evolutionary value of confirmation bias? Why wasn't confirmation bias eliminated from the population? Like, why didn't all the people with confirmation bias not 
die at some point. Um, and I think the explanation is that um, that's because our reason evolved to not for truth seeking, but for recruiting people to your camp. Pro-social. Um, for persuasion, yeah, to, to get people on your side. So that explains both why we have confirmation bias and uh, and why it's beneficial and it's it also explains why we're, we're so hardwired to be tribal because we fundamentally when we engage in reason we're we're engaging that tribal part of the brain mm-hmm. so that's just kind of unfortunate um yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah um <laughs> we should so- move on I accidentally had us have Hester and and Laura like twice in the thing. Um, So I'm going to move us along down the page. Uh, We already talked about uh, pervert party clown. Um, Just real quick, I would like to touch on Niska and Astrid because it's honestly one of my favorite moments in the series. Uh, I've mentioned it before um, where Astrid, where they're saying goodbye at the train station and Astrid teases Niska because like Niska's being like really fucking like earnest and which is kind of out of character in certain ways for for Niska and Astrid saying I'm your first love no wonder you're so intense and I sort of loved that as you know when you look back at the way that you behaved the first time you were in love um if if our listeners have been if if you guys have been like you were a, an idiot like everything mattered so much and it was so it was never going to be like this again and oh my god and I just kind of loved that it's a very human moment, and Astrid is so wonderfully accepting of Niska to the point where she can tease her for something that is like a ridiculous human thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh my god! No, I loved it. I loved it so much. Like, I oh, I'm your first love. No wonder you're such a fucking goober about it. Like, right? Like, <laughs> it was just their relationship. It's so it's so sweet, and Astrid is just lovely she's a lovely person and it's it's nice that niska fell for a lovely person she and she's tickled by niska's earnestness it's just like yeah because niska thinks she's a hard bitch and astrid's like (laughs) you are squishy as fuck uh all right um let's move on to sort of the sort of climax of of the the season and the episode um Oh, not the season. The climax of the season is at the very end, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But um, Leo coming to save Laura uh, from Hester and Shaheen, you have beef. You have beef with this. Why? Why is this a thing? <laughs> I don't understand. I hate it when the story... There's one reason for the way the character behaves, and that's because the story needed it. Like That's not a good reason. Because you wanted Mia to die in this scene so that you could do the whole thing with, oh, we don't have time, upload the code to everything. That doesn't make sense. Why did she, of all the people, she knew that she had the chip. Of all the people, right, like, why, why did not he have, Max? she have to go? Yeah. Or one of the other, the like, fucking, dudes. And the thing is, like, if she had given a reason in that scene, Besides, I would be I fine. <laughs> Yeah, she didn't get any fucking reason. She just, like, appealed to authority or something, appealed to force. So, um, yeah, that's just, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop complaining about that. <laughs> I mean, the only real note that I have about all of that is, um, first of all, Leo, she's, Hester is fucking crazy. Like, she's, you know... Yeah, it's not going to go well. Like, yeah, if you're going to go Leo, see Hester... 
you and Max are both real dumb and I have a real problem with it. Like they kind of deserve each other in the sense of like Leo thinks he's super smart and everyone thinks Max is super smart, but both of them are idiots. Um, though I really did enjoy that Niska just came in and fucking crushed Hester's skull. Oh, like, yes. Yeah. Slow clap for Niska. It like, was like- first of all, <laughs> she decided to help her family, like, good for you, but then also Niska was peak Niska in that scene. Oh, yeah. It was like that Game of Thrones scene where that guy's skull got crushed, but, like, way better. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um... Damn, I guess like that we really didn't have that much to say about the <laughs> the, the big emotional finale except to just be like, why yeah. the fuck was Mia there? And fuck yeah, Niska. Do you do you think Leo actually loved, loved her? her? I don't know. Is he synth enough to be able to fake that? I think I, I I think that him saying that was not necessarily a lie. I think that he is someone who feels so much of a kinship as he mentioned with the other synths that like he has tribal love for her mm-hmm. but i don't think and so i you know i don't think that it necessarily flagged as a lie but i think it was sort of you know is he in love with her i hope to fuck not but then again he hasn't shown himself to be super bright so maybe he <laughs> did fall in love after you that's know, funny so you're saying later on he'd be like oh i don't mean in that way not like, love. I just, <laughs> so, you i'm sorry I you said. misunderstood <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, I when when she like says to him, "I need you to acknowledge your weakness." Like I was like, "Oh, I've been in that relationship." <laughs> <laughs> I need you to say what you did wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I I I like I fell for it for a second. To be honest, um, she just <laughs> first time saw around, the crazy investor's it. eyes. Well, it's it's because it's just like for a moment I could believe. That what she needed was that um, what's it called? Um, what's it called when a mother loves their child but their child is ugly? Um, I don't know because I feel like a lot love. of kids are ugly. Mother's love. love. There's a name for unconditional it? love. Oh, un- oh, Uncondition- that's what I was yeah. railing against before. Can a baby exist that is so ugly that a mother would not love it? I believe. No, but like apparently, yes, like I've. Here's the thing: if you here's a there. scenario. What if the baby came every day and tried to murder you, and you showed showed the baby all kinds of love, and it would come back the next day and try to murder you? Wouldn't you stop at some point, being like, "All right, this baby is just a fucking dick. I'm gonna stop." <laughs> like, there is no unconditional love. That's not a thing. Well, I think no. I think that you would still love them. I think that you would realize though that that you could not have a relationship with them. I think that there is a difference between being able to like love something okay. and interact with it. Yeah, so you theoretically love them. Yeah, like I th- no. I mean, I think that you. It's not theoretical. I think that it's just that you realize <laughs> that you cannot have a, have you any must sort love of from interaction afar. or relation. Yeah, you must love, do not touch, touch, but do yeah. not touch. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> I love tigers. I'm not gonna pat one. <laughs> <laughs> they love you too, bubs. I know. I know they do. I um, all right. Actually, uh, tigers and lions. I've seen. I've been seeing videos. Like they can just behave just like cats. Which is the problem because I am covered in tiny little cat scratches and puncture marks, and that's with my cat like not trying to kill me. <laughs> like, yeah. And I outweigh that fucker <laughs> by some number of pounds. So like. Yeah, yeah, you could you could totally house 
train pet a tiger, except even when they play with you, they could accidentally oops rip off your arm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whoops a doodle. I mean, they'll give it back. It just won't be attached to anything. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. And then they go and run and hide and, you know, shit in your shoes. Um, they'll still ask for belly rubs, though. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, man, I would love to rub a tiger's belly. Oh, Anywho. my God, it must be so soft and big. It's probably real warm. But I bet, I wonder if tigers are, like, are like kind of, I wonder if they're smelly. You know what I mean? Like, the way that, like. Yeah. What if they just yeah. smell well, like a giant Well, if it's a wild belly? one, of course it'll be smelly. Yeah. But, like, a domestic. But, like, it, I, I imagine if you kept it in the house, that would also, like, yeah. Hmm. So I think a lot of the the smell of like wild animals that smell so strong is because they're wild, of course. It's because they're <laughs> like street cats also communication for them. Yeah, they're probably musky. Yeah. Anywho, yeah. Uh, do you guys want to talk about Karen and Sam uh, before we wrap it up with the big synth awakening? If anyone has anything to talk about Karen and Sam, like it was just cute. It was it was very cute, and I honestly like. I should have seen it coming because she's obviously depressed and I've seen the season before, but I forgot. And so I was shocked that they were about, well, she was about to commit suicide with her robot son. Um, But I thought that was, it was so cute when he squeaks and just jumps in her arms and she gets to be the parent finally. Like (laughs) backtracking slightly when Sam still thinks Karen is dead. I don't know why I find that so fucking funny. Like, it's Pete dead like you? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. God damn it. Well, no, <laughs> I, it was hilarious. No, I completely agree. That it was so funny. But then I was like thinking back. I was like, oh, she's saying yes because she's about to kill herself. But apart from that. Oh, that's deep. Hilarious. I just, I was just focused on Sam being an idiot. Oh my God. No, he's so, he, <laughs> I love that. So precious, um, so innocent. <laughs> So the next bit, uh, you know, we get to see the aftermath of all the simps, synths, the synths waking up, uh, which all I got for my notes on that was fuck these flowers and fuck this male. Um, <laughs> Dude, I like how little thought the um, the characters, the the like Maddie hawking, and them. Yeah, the how little thought they put into the consequences of this. I mean, uh, Laura was like, it's gonna be chaos. I was like, like, no shit. What do you think? It's good. <laughs> I was like, but probably going to be fine. Yeah, do it. I was like, no, did you consider all of the tasks that are now being done by Sins? Right, and they're going to They're all going like, to terminate at this moment. To be like, all at I the same have time. a sense of duty. I will continue delivering the mail and flying this plane. No, they're going to be like, <laughs> fuck this noise. I'm out. Uh. Yeah. Good times. Um, what did you say? Why does everyone store their robo boops standing in rows? What is that note, Pops? Oh, right. Is <laughs> this is my well actually? Um, so. Oh, sorry, sorry. Moving on to well actually. <laughs> so, so if you have watched the first season of the HBO masturbatory emission of a show, which was Westworld. Mm-hmm. Um, Which again, we maintain on this podcast that humans is telling a far better woken oh, up synthetic human story. Hundred percent. Like oh. I, humans is like a thousand times the show that West Westworld is, and sure with like one tenth the budget. Oh yeah, it, Westworld has all the visual. <laughs> it's beautiful. Whatever. It's a beautiful show. It doesn't make it a good show. Yeah, no, um, it's not a good story. So in Westworld. They also just stored their robots in, like, in a room, in, like, single, like, in rows. <laughs> and I was just like, 
If I had a bunch of robots, I would buy some Costco shelves in some <laughs> stack oversized them. American Girl co- doll coffins and just stack the shit out of them. Because, you know, they live in the UK. Space is precious. It's a fucking small island. Like, what are they doing? You know? So I I thought that was so weird, especially because, like, in Westworld, I'm like, also, why is – literally, that's how you keep your robots? Like, And that's also the creepiest way to walk into a room. So like, creepy. hi, let me just turn on this warehouse light. Oh, cool. It's a row upon row upon row of silent, motionless people. Yep. <laughs> Not creepy at all. Yep. Yep. Thank you. And did you did you have any well actually, Shane? Yeah, I I, I like how um, <laughs> it's they're so lucky that um, Leo's ambulance has a human driver because <laughs> that was arriving right at the moment when they <laughs> all the synths were like you know freaking out. So, but that that ambulance seemed to you know just like come over and park nonchalant. So. Um, yeah, that's my yay for Leo. Yeah, um, I don't think I had any well actuallys really. Um, I feel like Laura had the best well actually of of calling out Joe for sleeping with Anita. So like, I really don't have have anything uh, to add. Um, I guess we can wrap up with uh, our TV shows and movies and whatever to recommend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shaheen, what 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 have you got? We ever recommended um, BoJack Horseman on this show? I'm not sure if if we have. I would have recommended it ages ago because I kind of stopped watching after a while. But it's a good oh, show. Okay. BoJack Horseman is awesome. Yeah, it's pretty. It's dark. <laughs> it's pretty weird. Yeah, I mean it's dark and um, it's very like um, poignant and sort of intense, but also very funny and also just like. Um. Uh, it's like trippy. It's weird. Like it's a weird universe because like the uh, all the animals are people. Like there are no animal animals. Um, the all the animals are actually like conscious beings, and like uh, everyone's mixed with everyone. Like a couple might be like a a human human and like a dog human, or you know, Mr. Peanut Butter. Yeah. And, uh, which is Tal F, uh, uh, no, Tal F, Paul F. Tompkins. <laughs> um, Paul F. Tompkins does Mr. Peanut Butter, um, which, you know, I'm, I'm a big Tompkins fan, so that's also a bonus. Um, it's a really yeah. sort of sad but accurate mirror into, like, human depression. Like, yeah, and just society and modern. I mean, yeah, people. You know, I'm, I'm realizing that um, Hollywood people have um, have a knack for making stories about themselves. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah. So Bojack. That's one of those. Yeah, they they tell stories about themselves pretty well. So. <laughs> um. What about you, Bubs? Um. So I finally went back and watched all of the chilling tales of sabrina and i was pleasantly surprised i thought it was actually really good um yeah and and a lot of things i didn't expect i think the only so i i think season three just recently came out and then i finished that um and there's only like one kind of niggle about time travel where i was like oh my god but (laughs) but it becomes like a plot point moving forward 
that they're going to address, I'm assuming, at a later date. Um, so I, I thought it was I, I thought it was well done. And like I mean Kiernan Ship Shipka, whatever her name is, is adorable. Um, so yeah, if if you've given up on that show, you should definitely try it again. Okay. Maybe yeah. we'll add it to our list. Woohoo! Um I would, it's been so long since we've potted, so, like, I've seen so many things since then, but I will say um, Sex Education Season 2 came out. It continues with being sort of just wonderfully sex positive, and, like, I feel like I wish that someone would cut all of the, like, action, like, cut out all of the plot and just do, like, all of the sex advice and information (laughs) and awkward encounters and, like, cut that together and give that as, like, actual sex education to kids because it does such a good job of, like, not othering, not making it seem weird, like making, you know, making like A, giving you accurate information, then B, like making you not feel like a fucking weirdo because something, because you think something is weird about you. It turns out, no, other people are just as weird and it's not weird. So that was, that's just a really good show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd like to put The Witcher on the list. I know we're a little bit late because that came back, that came out uh, last year, but um The Witcher, I never read the books or played the games, um, but it is dumb and entertaining and great fantasy. um, And I will say that it thinks it thinks that it's being Game of Thrones, like it thinks that it is a Game (laughs) of Thrones show, but it really is just a super high budget Xena warrior princess. (laughs) And I mean that in the best way, because as long as like it's trying to take itself seriously and then it kind of like sort of has a lot more fun with itself and it's just kind of like entertaining and everyone is super attractive and it's funny um it's yeah. great it, it has a really catchy song that's like oh my god that goddamn song no 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 oh my god no no that's, so that's the rest of my evening you're welcome yeah yeah so that's in our head <laughs> um have you watched it Shane? um sex education no uh, well the either but mostly the witcher uh no you should watch no, it it's watch. on netflix it's fun yeah. Cool. Yeah. Since you talked about uh, sex education and being uh, open and positive, there's also a there's an asexual character on Bojack. Oh yeah, on Bojack. I was um, just thinking about that. Yeah, which doesn't happen in yeah. India very often. So yeah, that's pretty cool. And he, uh, this character, he, um, I believe that's how he identifies. Um, like it also comes to sort of a slow realization about it. Like it's not immediately, yeah. he's not introduced as like, hi, I'm asexual. You kind of like follow his journey right. on being like, wait, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I like when it's he, cool. he fucks his ex co-star. <laughs> I don't remember that. It must've been early season. Cause I haven't watched in a long time. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. Whatever. No spoilers. <laughs> um, that's uh, do you guys have anything else on TV shows or media or human season 2? No. I think we're good. No. No. All right. Um we will be back. We will have some internal discussions. Maybe you can tweet at us if you have a preference, um but we will either be back with the Expanse season 4 or Human season 3. Um we have not quite yet decided that. Uh Yeah, I got nothing else. Put on um, Twitter. Yeah, come yell at us on Twitter because I do a bad job checking email and I never log into Facebook. So what is find this? us on Twitter. I know Don't Twitter is a cesspool, work. but our Twitter feed is usually pretty nice or at least filthy. <laughs> um, thanks for hanging out this afternoon, guys. Ooh. Yeah. All right. Um, this was fun. Nice you guys. We finally did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. Take it easy, guys. Bye, everyone. Bye. Geek again. Bye.